Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Bennington's stick gets knocked all the way into the corner, and the Avs shoot and score. Bennington was without his stick. Colorado got it near circle, and the Avs finally break through on the fifth power play. Penalty trouble biting the Blues in a 2-1 game. The Blues are changing, and it's the Avs coming in. Kadri shoots and scores, and it's 3-1 Colorado. Nice play by McKinnon to keep it in. Throws on the brakes. Perico's defending. They hit the trailer. They shoot. They score. And that one's fired in, and Colorado makes it a 4-2 game. Two seconds to go. The shot gets blocked, and the Avs defeat the St. Louis Blues and hand them their first loss of the season. It's a 4-3 final at Enterprise Center tonight. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We are broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center, and that's what it sounded like right here on Your the Blues 101 ESPN last night. Oh. As unfortunately... The winning streak comes to an end. The Blues are now 5-1 and one on the season after starting the year with a five-game winning streak. Can we find a, a, a trail back to you BKOing this win streak somewhere? No That's chance. That's what I was just thinking. When, when can we find the BKO? Because I, when did it I happen? I feel like there was an interview that we have done or a segment that we have done between Tuesday and Wednesday where BK said, man, this team is unstoppable. This team looks great. I think they can continue to win. Nobody can beat them. I, I, I'm thinking somewhere along those lines Tuesday or Wednesday. Am I wrong? Definitely no, I wrong. Right. That no, never happened. I, I think you're right. I, I think we can blame BK and we can blame Dan Rosen because he said they're going to be the last ones uh, undefeated. That's true. He did. And then he said it with his chest afterwards and I was yeah. not pleased about that. <laughs> He's like, well, I said it, so I guess I got to stick with it. I'm like, come on, Dan, put a little more emphasis behind that, damn it. So the Blues are now 5-1. and one. They lose last night 4-3 to three against the Colorado Avalanche. I think this game's pretty easy to break down, Alex. They were just flat-out outplayed. And more importantly, they were in the box too much. They just didn't – we've said all year, you're really good on the PK. Yeah, but when you go to the PK five times against the Colorado Avalanche, eventually the dam's going to break. And it did last night eventually. They only allowed the one goal. They did a pretty good job overall. But they, they were just in the box too often. And – I thought this was the first time all year, Alex, that I felt like the Blues had legitimately been outplayed by their opponent. Previously, like sometimes you get lucky and you win. I thought they had been the better team in all five games to start out the year. That was not the case last night. From start to finish, you were outplayed by the Avalanche. What was your biggest takeaway from the game? Yeah, well, the penalties were the biggest problem in this. And frankly, 
beyond the penalties, Justin Falk's fight was the biggest problem in this one because what happened, you're already down a guy who eats up about 18, 19 minutes a night, and then 47 seconds out of the gate, Justin Falk gets into the fight, and he gets the instigator, and he gets the misconduct, which puts him in the box for 17 minutes. So you're down one of your best defensemen for the first 17 minutes of the hockey game on top of taking three penalties in that first period. So six minutes of your first 20 minutes were played five on four and you were without one of your best penalty killing defensemen in Justin Falk. So what that does is that just gets you out of rhythm. It just takes you off of your game. The consistency's not there. And look, this team was going to be searching for consistency to their game out of the get-go without Ryan O'Reilly. Bortuzzo talked about it a couple of days ago. He said O'Reilly's just a calming presence. And when you take him out of the lineup, you need somebody who can step up. So a lot of factors went into this, and then the second period. The second period is what got away from him because, look, despite the Blues being down five on four for a majority of that period, I didn't think the Blues were outplayed in the first period. I thought it was a very even first period. Colorado with a little advantage, but it was power play time. Second period was where things really got out of hand, and from that, I I think it was just a matter of the Blues were trying to do too much. As soon as Colorado scored to tie things up, the Blues were trying to be the aggressors once again. The problem was when you're the aggressors, you're taking penalties and you're in the box and you're just, you weren't on your game to a crisp amount. But with that being said, I was impressed by how the Blues pushed back. Definitely. And they were outplayed. Like, don't get me wrong. I think the shots were, what, 40-something to 17? 42 to 18 at the end. But the fact that the Blues were outplayed by that drastic amount and you lost by a goal without Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Saad was at least something positive to take away from that hockey game. Yeah, can we talk about that fight? The Justin Falk one? Can we be done with this cadre thing? How many times do we have to take care of business? I understand if you're Justin Falk, you want to do it on your own. But if you want to take care of it on your own, tell Braden Shin that before the last time these two teams played so that way you can take care of business so he doesn't. Now we've started out the last two to- two games that the Blues have played against uh, the Avs with Shin fighting him in the first one and then Falk in this one, and he gets the instigator. So as you mentioned, he's basically out the entire first period can we be done? Are, are we done now? Or do we have to continue litigating this thing on the ice? No, I thought Joey said it perfect on the broadcast. And he said, look, that needs to be the end of it. That needs to be case closed. We're done with this. And I think it is. I, it better be. I, and I wasn't in the locker room and we haven't heard this. But look, Braden Shen did what any leader would do. He stepped up for his teammates. And he even said afterwards. We talked about it after the, that game. Hey, good for Braden Shen. He took care of things the way that you expected. And he said it after that game. He said, we're going to make Kadri's life a living hell for what he did. And and I think that's what the mindset was. But from Justin Falk's perspective, I mean, put yourself in his skates. You have somebody who laid a possible career-ending hit on you in a playoff game that it was, was unnecessary. It was terrible. I think Justin Falk just said, you know what? I want my piece of the cake right here. And that's what happened. I thought it was a little bit of a joke that he got a misconduct in that. I, those were two very young referees that were the fact that they called the mis- officiated the entire night. Let's the fact that they called a misconduct on Justin Falk where I mean, look, Kadri and Falk were both kind of going at it with each other. I get the the roughing call that he should have got or the instigator penalty. But give them both five-minute fighting penalties. Like, read the room a little bit here. I thought that was a little bit of a joke. But I I do believe, and if I'm not mistaken, I'm sure Craig Berube would say this to the locker room as well. Let's put this to rest now. You don't see Colorado again until the end of the season. You only play them three times. I think that's going to be done, set, match, move forward with this. But, I mean, unfortunately for the Blues... 
it took them away from their game, and they were never able to recoup once Justin Falk had that fighting penalty. Yeah, I felt like the Blues were more interested in fighting last night than they were in actually winning that game, at least at the beginning. Like, there's just... I, I'm, I'm done with it, man. I really am. And the, this team's too good for that. Um, there, there's got to be bigger goals at hand. And you're right. They only have one more game against them. It's late this season. It's on April 26th. So we're, I mean, almost six yeah. months away from End the next the time that they're actually going to be able to see one another again. But it's just, it, it was frustrating. It's like, man, you, you could start the season 6-0, and and this is what we're interested in taking care of again. It, it, it was just really frustrating to watch. You're right. It was poorly officiated, but you put that in their hands. Yeah. You, you gave them the opportunity to do that, and then it resulted in you basically not having one of your top defensemen for the entire first period. But so you know that what? was frustrating. You can't tell Justin Falk not to do that because Justin Falk obviously wanted to get some business done, and maybe that was going to affect him moving forward. Again, I've never played in a situation. I'm sure Jamie Rivers can speak about this later, but... I'm sure it eats away at you every time you see that individual. Think of Tyler Bozak, who had to miss so much time with the Mark Stone hit. You know, that's something that I'm sure eats away at an individual player. So that was probably more of the breath of, oh, okay, finally we're done with this now. I think that was the conclusion to the novel that is Nazem Kadri. Although I said it in the first intermission last night, he's public enemy number one. Like it or not, there's going to be extracurricular activity every time these two teams play each other because of Landeskog, because of Kadri, because of Nathan McKinnon. Those guys are just pests. Kadri is a dirty version of David Perron. Perron would never lay those hits, but Kadri gets under the skin like David Perron does. He does his job and he did what he needed to do. What the Blues need to do moving forward, though, is make sure that they he's not able to get under their skin anymore because he's going to keep trying. Like, if the Blues see the, the abs in the postseason, which at least seems very possible right now, they've got to make sure they don't allow that guy to get back into their heads. They, this has to be the end of it. And, Alex, you, you mentioned you thought that was the end of it last night. The only reason why I'm hesitant to agree with that is because of what happened with Bennington. And let's have the Bennington conversation real quick. You sure you want to do You want to do this? Do you want to get into this? In the I open? just don't understand. I don't understand. Okay. Now, listen, let's get the caveats out of the way, right? He was never going to hit Kadri. It was not close. It wasn't a situation where Kadri's life was in risk or anything like that. So anybody <gasps> that's BK, going... But the stick almost hit him in the nose. Anybody that's going to that end... I'm pushing them to the side and saying, you are not my ally. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going that you're, far. You're distancing yourself away from that individual? Yes. <laughs> However, I'm pretty done with this stuff. The, the antics, I, I, if it happens once a year, okay, maybe that is something that, as you mentioned last year, it rallies the team together. It gets them energized. I didn't get that feel last night. After he took the swipe at Kadri, I never once was like, oh, wow, the Blues are really re-energized because Jordan Bennington is back at it again. That was just a not very smart play. It was unnecessary. It was uncalled for. And he ended up, yes, taking another penalty. It was just silly. And I, I that is why I wonder, is it actually behind us or... Did they just say the right things after the game? Bennington doing that again, he's now getting a little bit of a reputation around the league, and now refs are going to be starting to look for stuff that he's doing. And that that's just, it's unnecessary, it's uncalled for, and I'm frankly done watching it. Yeah, but they can't do anything to Bennington. Like, you and I are on different ends of the spectrum with this because what I thought Jordan Bennington last night was actually pretty smart. 
I, I think he really. Yeah. I, well, first of all, he got Kadri out of the game for ten minutes. Like his misconduct got Kadri out of the game for but ten minutes. He shouldn't have gotten a ten minute misconduct. Who Again, Kadri? Said, yeah, yeah, Kadri. No, Kadri should have. Didn't you hear Jared Bednar afterwards? Jared Bednar said last night after he said, "Look, you can't go skate back over there." Kadri skated back to Bennington three times and just kept trying to instigate him. I mean, and he from did the ref- swing a stick at him, so I mean, <laughs> kind of going back to There's, him. But look, that is the part that I saw, and I'm like, okay, that was a little unnecessary. If you take the stick swinging away from Bennington and do what he did to Eric Carlson last year in the San Jose Sharks game, where you act like you're lunging at him and make him flinch then I think we're looking at this a little bit differently. But what took place with Jordan Bennington was the spark that I think he saw his team needed. Are you serious? No, I'm not. I am a dead serious here. That team was dead in the water in the second period, BK. They were down two goals, nearly three goals for how Colorado was swarming. The Blues were basically just trying to play keep away in their own zone because Colorado was all over them. And what Jordan Bennington was, one was stepping up for his teammate because Jake Wallman got cross-checked by Logan O'Connor, I think, after the play from behind. Bennington was the first one that saw it and went running into that scrum. That had nothing to do with Nazem Kadri. That was Bennington jumping into the scrum because of the guy back or check or uh, cross-checking Wallman. And then what happened was Kadri came in. And I don't know what happened. Whatever Kadri said, we're never going to know. But Kadri came into the scrum. That's public enemy number one once again for you. And what I think Jordan Bennington did there was say, let's ignite something here. Jordan Bennington has always used his attitude and his his aggressiveness to the advantage of the Blues. Sometimes he's calm, cool, and collected, right? Do I look nervous? But other times Jordan Bennington says, blank this, I'm going to get my team reeling like we saw against the San Jose Sharks. When it got out of hand was when he swung the stick at Nazem Kadri's face. But I think Jordan... And that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's just silly. But you're more frustrated with the antics of Jordan Bennington. That's the antic. But take away the stick swinging. If he does what he did to Eric Carlson where he lunges at him, we're not talking about this. I mean, it's still silly. (laughs) It's not, though, because what he's doing is he's trying to get his team going. And look what happened, BK. His team came back within a goal in the first five minutes. Bennington gave up a bad goal in that third period. If he doesn't give up that goal to Kale McCarr, and frankly, if they don't turn the puck over. And that's part of the story as well. Like, if you're going to do this stuff, you better be perfect moving forward in that game. And he wasn't. You're, you're, you're right. But he was, it's not that he was perfect, but he was damn good in that game. He gave for, up. For most of the game, absolutely. But it, once you do that in that game, Moving forward the rest of it, you better be perfect. And he let up a goal that I think he would probably tell you afterwards. Yeah, I wish that I did. I, I, I should have had that one back. A hundred percent. But I also think what needs to happen is the team needs to recognize what's going on here. Because if you go back and look at that goal, Thomas and Tarasenko just were lackadaisical with the puck in their own zone, which kept it in against the top line of Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr. So, yeah, Bennington needs to make that stop. If you're going to act that way, then you have to find a way to shut it down. And he did so for a majority of that period. But that bad goal, if you take that bad goal away, which I know, it's the ifs and buts of this whole scenario. If you take the swipe away and you take the bad goal away, then... (laughs) The whole thing about this, though, is what Jordan Bennington is doing is, I think, calculated from a goaltender's perspective. It's not like he does this when his team is up 7-1 to beating the Arizona Coyotes and things are getting nasty. It's when the team is is dead in the water and they just don't have energy and it looks like they're being swallowed whole. One more goal goes in in that period, BK, and we're probably talking about a 5-6-1 loss. 
But I think what Jordan Binnington did was, boys, let's breathe some life into this. I guarantee they were pumped up in that locker room after what took place with Jordan Binnington. So for me, and we're going to be on opposite ends of the spectrum on this, but for me... And I'm getting called soft, which is to be expected on the text line, and 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Listen, if you want to call this old-time hockey, you want to call this me being soft, that's all perfectly fine. It's not old-time hockey. Old-time hockey, Binnington would have just skated down and punched Darcy Kemper in the face. It's not old-time hockey. that would have been entertaining. (laughs) By the way, when he flung the puck towards Darcy Kemper, I was like, oh man, we are getting a goaltender fight but you're not bk is not being soft here because there are a ton of people that believe this i think i might be in the minority with this but just watching this team over the last few years i think jordan bennington's attitude breathes life into this team when they need it i think there's some truth to that and i think that in the past like i there have been some of these things where I've said, okay, maybe I'm wrong on this. You know, I, I I disagree with it, but it it clearly lit some fire under the team. I didn't get that feel last night. I felt like that was him just being silly, and he got mad, and he took it out on somebody else, and it was like the swipe at him. Again, I want to make this very clear. There was nobody that was in danger because yeah, of the swipe. I wasn't going to hit him he in the face. He wasn't close to hitting him in the face or anything like that. He shouldn't. I, I don't think he should be suspended or anything like that. It was just silly. Like, it was just unnecessary, and it's something that I'm going to look back on for me, and I can only speak for myself in this in this respect, and say, Bennington, we, we got to stop with this stuff. Like, I, I, I would imagine that there were probably conversations afterwards where it was like, hey, I, I think we got to move forward from this. And uh, I, I hope that that ends up being the case. I, I don't want to see more of this stuff from Bennington the rest of the year. Uh, but Give me more of it. Um, I know that I am certainly in the minority from that respect. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. In 15 minutes or so, we will get to our football pick for the week, the segment that I just dread every single week. I don't. I'm the champion, T-Bone. But coming up next, the Cardinals have a chance to be remembered as one of the most decorated defensive teams of all time. I'm not overstating things there. We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Shallow center coming on Bader. With Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Some of the season highlights for the Cardinals defensively, and there were plenty of them, and for good reason. The Cardinals were the best defensive team in baseball this year, and Alex, they now have six players that have been nominated for a gold glove. Yadier Molina, Paul Goldschmidt, Tommy Edmond, Nolan Arenado, Tyler O'Neill, and Harrison Bader. Honestly, it would be easier for me to list the, n- the number of players that were not nominated. Well, that would be mean to those players, and so they're I don't starting think you line up for gold gloves than were shortstop and right field and honestly dylan carlson very well could end up being nominated for one of these in his career we'll see on that maybe Mm. um i wouldn't go that route but maybe um 
it's super impressive to have six players nominated for gold gloves. And it was the highest number of any team in the league this year. Alex, I think there's a real chance that they get four or five players to win the gold glove. The only one that I don't think has any chance this year is Yadier Molina. Agreed. And that is not a shot against Yadi so much as a statement of Jacob Stallings is outstanding. And Yadi's not quite the same defender that he was in the prime of his career. I throw Tommy Edmond in that category. I don't know if he – I mean, he might have a shot, but I think it's a very low chance when you're behind Colton Long and Ozzy Albies. He's the other one that I find really interesting because I'm not sure I'm with you. Um, if you look at some of the numbers, and I know that some of the voters will take that into account, he's actually first among this group. And defensive runs saved and outs above average this year among the, the three that are nominated in the National but League for second base. how many games played there? Because he – I think he's right there with Colton Wong because really? Colton Wong missed Injuries? so many games for injury. And then Ozzie Albies is, uh, of the three, the worst defender of the group. Yeah. So I, I'm going to be really interested to see how voters kind of take all of that into account and decide who they're going to vote for. I think he is the, the swing guy here mm-hmm. because I couldn't find a team, Alex, that has won five gold gloves on one team in one year. I couldn't find one. Um, I tried to look for it last night. The most I could find, it's happened a number of times, and I think the Cardinals have done it three times. You could have four. Four. But Edmonds, Molina, Pujols, Rowland. Yeah, 2002 and 2003, the Cardinals had four gold glove winners each of those two seasons. I think you're going to get that this year. I'd be surprised if they don't. I think Goldschmidt, Arenado, O'Neill, and Bader are basically locks to win gold gloves this season. You think Arenado is, even with Key Brian Hayes? I do, yeah. Because of the slow start for Arenado out of the gate? analytically, uh, if you're looking at the reputation that does have a f- play a factor here, the number of games that uh, Hayes played this year, I think Arenado's going to win it at third. Um, it, it's a matter of, like, the over-under, I would set at four and a half. Yeah. And I think Tommy Edmond would potentially be that fifth guy. I, I am curious, Alex, as we kind of spin this forward, this was clearly the identity of the Cardinals in 2021. How much of this are you willing to give up in 2022 to be better offensively? Because we talk about the platoons. We talk about playing the matchups. Tommy Edmond and Harrison Bader are the first two names that we mentioned. Center field and second base as being options for platoons. They're both guys that could or maybe will win gold gloves. How much of that are you willing to give up in the nature of being better offensively next year? Uh, I'd, I'd give up some. I don't know how much. Like, I'm looking at both of those positions. I'm still a little hesitant and skeptical of making Tommy Edmond a platoon player um, because I, I feel like he had some down spots last year, but then he found his way at times where he was the leadoff hitter you were hoping him to be. Um, Harrison Bader's the one that I can look at and say, you know what, I can see some splits coming into this. And I don't know if it's going – like, it's going to hurt them when you take him out of center field because we saw the repercussions of losing Harrison Bader for a long period of time. But it depends on who you bring in to fill that void. Are you bringing in Kyle Schwarber? Or are you bringing in, like, an Eddie Rosario or a Jock Peterson who have a little bit better defense than Kyle Schwarber in the outfield? And it depends on what the DH looks like here. So I'm willing to give up some – defense but I'm not willing to give up a lot because if this team's going to go off of their pitching and that's the identity you got to make sure that you are solid in the big areas but I think all this can be corrected by fixing offense and getting yourself a shortstop yeah I kind of take the other side of it if I'm willing to give up some but if I'm going to be willing to give it up I'm going to be willing to give it up at second base because it's not as a high prolific defensive spot as center field and as you mentioned Alex 
when you when the Cardinals were without Harrison Bader, you saw a massive difference between the outfield defense with and without him. And Carlson's okay in center field, but I don't. I would much rather have Harrison Bader playing mo- every day in center field rather than going somewhere someone else like Dylan Carlson. Edmund, I think I can get away with platooning with. And the reason I say that is because then you have him on the bench that's kind of that Swiss Army knife. He can come and give you a good pinch hit at bat. Maybe he's a doubles machine, so maybe you can get that in a pinch hit opportunity. Or you can bring him in defensively at second base late in the game or put him in the outfield if you have to, depending on all the if there's a DH now, which I'm assuming there's going to be. But I would feel more comfortable platooning him rather than Harrison Bader, who's playing the most prolific position in the outfield. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there, Tanner. You also have a, a clear option at second base there, and it's going to be Nolan Gorman potentially next year, or if they go out there and sign a left-handed option to play second base and, and potentially platoon with Harrison Bader or with Tommy Edmond rather. So you've got some options there. I am curious, and you mentioned the off season and how that could play into these decisions. Not just the DH route, but also if they decide to get rid of the shift, I do think that changes things in our conversations about Tommy Edmond. Because if you eliminate the shift, it makes defense at second base that much more important. And you have one of the best defenders at second base in all of baseball right now, as clearly indicated by the fact that he's nominated and potentially could win a gold glove. If they eliminate the shift, and this is why you got to wait until after the CBA has been finished to be able to really go into your offseason decisions, I think it makes Tommy Edmond more valuable. And I'm not sure you platoon him next year. Well, and that's where I'm at with this, too. And to push back on T-Bone's point... your second option, if it's not Tommy Edmond, is Nolan Gorman. Or it's Sosa. I, not, I think you could turn to Sosa at second base. Now, I don't think that's an offensive upgrade, though. I don't think Edmundo Sosa, who was really good at the end of last year, but we've all agreed that that's not going to be sustainable. I don't think Sosa's an upgrade over Tommy Edmond, and I don't think Nolan Gorman, I think he can get there, but I don't think this season, at his age, he's ready to be that everyday presence in your lineup. So that's where I'm at. If If you're going to pick one spot Bader's offense is average and I think you could fill that void and hopefully not take such a blow in terms of defense in the center field if you're putting Carlson out there or you get somebody who can play center I think you're taking more of a massive hit if you lose Tommy Edmond and hope that one of those other bench bats can step into that role but see, I, I'm more because center field is the commander of the outfield second base is the, there's no real commander of the infield, but your most prolific spots to me in the infield are third and short because most batters are right-handed. Then you get the then you have the first baseman who you need because he's the guy that's picking balls at first base that are thrown to him. Makes more plays. Yeah, second base is just kind of there to shorter throw. If I have to sacrifice some defense at second base and put Nolan Gorman in there, and I get what you're saying that maybe his bat's not ready. I think his bat's ready. I, I think he's ready to play at the big league level and contribute to this team. And when we had uh, William Bohr on fr- on the damn actual with BK from MLB Pipeline, he said his bat's probably ready. His defense is probably the thing that's lagging behind. I'm willing to sacrifice that if his bat can play. Because, again, to me, second base is probably the least impactful defensive position on the field, in my especially opinion. Especially with the shift. Especially with the shift. The shift is what allows guys like Mike Mustafa. Even with Mus- the shift, in my opinion, even without the shift, in my opinion, second base is the least impactful one that you have defensively. I think it changes a little bit, um, but you might be right there, Tanner. I, I I, think that it becomes significantly more valuable. Right right now in baseball, with the way the teams are shifting, it's almost a position where you can hide your worst defender. Like Mike Moustakis is able to play second base right now as a guy who has never played there previously in his history prior to the last couple of years. 
because they just shift so much that he he makes very few plays. Uh, we are getting a lot of people that are on the text line, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line, uh, asking why Tommy Edmond is a platoon option. So in terms of the batting average, it's basically the same against lefties and righties for Tommy Edmond. On base percentage, same thing. It's basically the same uh, lefties versus righties. Slugging percentage is where it is a dramatic shift. Against left-handed pitching last year, he had almost a 500 slugging percentage against lefties. Against righties, he was at 350. It's like 150 points different between left-handed and right-handed pitching. So why are you potentially going to platoon him? Because of that. Because if you go up against a right-handed pitcher and you've got Nolan Gorman, for example, who could give you another 500 slugging percentage option from the left side, well, now with the two players, you have formed one great hitter, Mm -hmm. regardless of who the pitcher is that they're going up against. So that's why you would do it. The other thing is next year, given his on-base percentage of 300 now in his career, I just don't think he's going to be an option to lead off for you anymore. I think you're going to see him at the bottom of the order as opposed to at the top of it. So those are some of the reasons as to why you would go this route. But when we're talking about what you give up defensively for, for offense, it's really hard to know without knowing what the rules are going to be. If they eliminate the shift next year, I'm much more hesitant to platoon Tommy Edmond at second base than if they don't. If they keep the shift implemented for 2022, that's when I think, whether it be Nolan Gorman or another left-handed veteran option, I'm, I'm for it as long as you don't get in a, a total atrocity defensively at second base if they're terrible at second base that's when you lose your identity and now you've got to move forward and doing something else guys this is simple just go sign Corey seager this is simple what are we what are we doing here we fix the problem when you go get the elite bat at shortstop and you never have to worry about this again you could also do that without with Ferrario the platooning t-bone and i'm brandon kiley six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service wallet. text line questions and answers coming up in 15 minutes but coming up next we'll get to our football pick on the biggest games of the week in both the nfl and college football alex last couple of weeks have been pretty dreadful when it comes to the matchups on both sides this week that is not the case there are some great games in both the nfl and college football we'll get into our picks for them next on 101 espn they are st louis it's bk and ferrario live from the car shield studio on 101 espn All right, it is time for our football pick'em with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We're broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex was the winner last week in our pick'em challenge. Who this cares? may come as a surprise. Welcome to, you. to the club, T-Bone. Tanner was in second place, and yes, that means your guy, BK. I'm going to call Tanner number two because that's where he finishes every week. Number two. Because his takes are a number two. No, he's he's (laughs) can't say the word on air. Hey, yeah, man. Come on, man. Our our listening audience tends to agree with you right now, which is fair. I (laughs) I understand. calling you soft, dude. When was the last time someone had a soft number two? Come on, man. Regularly. I'm a runner, man. Um, All right. (laughs) Gross. Alex, where would you like to pick this week? Well, second or third. I will pick the spot that T-Bone finishes every single week, and it is number two. Tanner, would you like the first or the third pick? Uh, I'll take the. I want the third pick. I hate picking God. last. And stop complaining every time because we you're going to pick third and then you're going to flip back to first. So don't third, complain today. First. Damn. And then first. <laughs> Got it. 
That's not how it works. That's not how it works, man. Anyways. We change the order every time. Oh, my God. Every freaking day he does it. All right. I will go first then. My first pick this week. And by the way, there are some legitimately good games in the NFL this weekend. Uh, Same thing for college football. There's quite a few top 10, top 15 types of matchups going up against one another. My first pick this week. I'm surprised by this spread, Alex. Very surprised. The Titans are going on the road at the Colts. Did you know the Colts are a two and a half point favorite in this one? That's a joke. I don't understand this because I don't look at the Colts and say like, hey, they've got this explosive passing game and they've never been able to stop Derrick Henry in the running game. I'm taking the Titans plus the two and a half points on the road against the Colts. Yeah, that's a strong pick. All right, that I'm is the, putting 100 on the Colts. That, that, is the, that's, that might be the dumbest spread of the week right now on this list. Uh, the fact that they think the Colts are three points better or two and a half points better than the Titans. Um, I'm going with another two, two and a half point side. And I'm going the underdog in this one. Cowboys at Minnesota. Can I can I mention one thing before you take this one? Sure, no, because I'm going to go the opposite of don't what you're going to do. Don't tell him. Dak Prescott might not play. When did that happen? To, like the last couple of days. He, oh, he's wow. They're not sure if he's going to be ready because of his injury that he suffered in his last game. Does that change anything for you? I just want to make you aware of this just in case you didn't know. Because I was surprised to see the Vikings as a two-and-a-half point favorite, and then I saw why. Who's their backup quarterback? Is it Andy Dalton still? No, he's with uh, the Bears quarterback. The Bears now. I know that. That was sarcasm. I'm not that dumb. Okay, who is it then? I, have no I legitimately don't know idea. the answer. T-Bone? Is it like Cooper Rush or something like that? I, oh, that might be God. right. Oh, well, he's going to rush his way into a three-point victory over the Vikings. Okay. I'm picking the Cowboys. I'm sticking with okay. this. Despite Dak Prescott, by the way, I think he'll play. Game time decision on a Sunday night football game. Yeah, he's going to come through. Cowboys at Vikings. It's a minus two and a half. I think Cowboys keeps it close. Cowboys plus two and a half. That's Ferrario's T-bone pick. Uh, Cooper Rush, by the way, is their backup. Tanner, who you got? You got two back-to-back two. picks. All right. The first one I'm going to go with is I'm going to go the Bucks minus four and a half at the Saints. I feel kind of confident in this one. I know Antonio Brown just got ruled out. Uh, I just saw that come in about 30 minutes ago, but it sounds like Gronk's going to be back. So we're going to, you know, Brady's got his buddy back. I'll take the Bucks minus four and a half. And then my second one, I'm going to stick with the NFL. I'm going Chargers minus four and a half against the Patriots. I, I feel like this game is going to be a blowout from the Chargers side of things. I, I think the Patriots, they're not very good. I'll just say that. So <laughs> I'll take the Chargers minus four and a half over the Patriots. Man, do I take the final NFL game and then make us all fight over the college uh, football some, slate? You want some breaking news to help with one of these picks? Baker sure. Mayfield will start Sunday against the Steelers. That is that doesn't matter. In. He's got a bum shoulder. It's not going to care. Oh, I thought maybe you'd want to know, you know. I did because I'm taking Browns minus three and a half there. I heard him talking about that earlier. Change your pick, huh? No, I didn't. I heard them speak of this yesterday on uh, Get Up, and they had the zero to max meter. And they said zero to max confidence in Ben Roethlisberger against Miles Garrett. And I forgot who said it, but they said zero before they could get the word out. So I think Ben Roethlisberger is going to be eating a lot of uh, turf this weekend. And I think the Browns might be a little bit more of a ticked off team. And we've already seen what Dearness Johnson's able to accomplish. And if Baker's back, that's even better. So, yeah, I'm going Browns minus three and a half against the Steelers, boys. So my next pick, we got to go to the college ranks now because yeah. all of the NFL games are Clean officially sweep on NFL. taken. The college games, we got four of them this week to pick from. I'm taking Penn State plus the 18 and a half points on the road at Ohio State. I know they can't score, but that defense is still really good. 
I think Ohio State wins this one. I think they might even win by two scores. 18 and a half is a really big spread, though. So I'm going to take the underdogs in this one on the road. Penn State plus the 18 and a half. Hopefully this one doesn't go with it nine overtimes the way that the last one did. Well, that one was I have... fun, though. No, it wasn't. Tanner? Oh, we're back to me again? I You're really up, have right? no idea how this draft order works. Oh my gosh. I'm going to go with Georgia minus 14 at Florida. I, I don't think this game is going to be close. The Florida offense is not that good. Georgia's defense is just unbelievable. So I will take Georgia to cover 14 on the road in the swamp. Man, I don't like either of these two that I got to go with. So either it's Iowa at Wisconsin as Wisconsin's minus three and a half or Michigan at Michigan State, they're minus four. Can we start with the Wisconsin line real quick? Discuss this amongst ourselves. I was surprised to see they were a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Me too, because one. I would have given that three-and-a-half-point favorite to Iowa. Tanner, were you surprised to see that? You're the Big Ten guy of the group. Yeah, I was, because I thought Iowa would be favored even going on the road. Wisconsin's not really – I mean, they're okay, but they're no—they're nothing special. Iowa was, what, number two last week? They're number nine now in the country. Yeah, so them being – Wisconsin's not even ranked. Yeah, so them being three-and-a-half-point underdogs on the road in Wisconsin is a little surprising to me yeah. and has me a little worried. I think I'm going Iowa here. I mean, even before we talked about that, I just didn't understand minus three and a half for Wisconsin. And I believe earlier in our pick'em challenges, I picked against Wisconsin, and Wisconsin kind of pushed my face in the mud. I don't think they're going to do it with me on this one. I think Iowa is going to be able to cover that minus three and a half. So yeah, that's where I'm going with Iowa as the road team. Final pick here, All right, Michigan. This is, this is this is the difference between BK one and two and zero oh and three. Michigan at Michigan State. Please I, go Michigan State. I hate go Michigan this line. State. Do it. It's a four-point line in favor of Michigan. It's on the road at Michigan State. Do it. Go the underdog. I want you to lose. Let's do it. I'll take Michigan State. Oh, oh and three. Home. Let's go ahead and go for it. I'm going to take the Spartans. Ugh. At home against Michigan. You know that Jim Harbaugh is not going to win multiple big games in one year. No yeah, chance. That's not Jim's MO. Jim never is able to win all of the big games. Wait, I've got Jim's him. Mo? Lo- <laughs> I'm losing. I've got him losing this one. Uh, I'm going to take Michigan State at home. 11 a.m. The big Fox game. Give me Michigan State against. You don't feel confident with that, Michigan. do you? I don't I like feel that. good about I it. Like that. So. I like that pick. I think BK goes one and two and somehow still finishes third. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He will. He will. All right. Those are our picks for the week for the football slate with Alex Rario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes or so, we've got a pitcher that may become available this offseason that we think the Cardinals should be looking at. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this, though, Alex. Lou Korak just tweeted this out. Bennington has spoken to the media today out at practice. We are at the Centene Community Ice Center broadcasting from the ENB Granite Studio. Jordan Bennington was quoted on the Kadri incident last night saying, kind of heat of the moment. The scrum started and carried on, and there was a little stuff from the past that went on there. But I might have taken it a little bit too far. I don't want to condone the stick swinging. Having a guy sit in the box for the next 10 minutes just isn't the play there. I definitely don't want kids out there swinging their sticks. It was an emotional situation. Emotions were high. It was a competitive game. He was then asked if he regretted uh, swinging the stick. Said no. 
I don't condone it. It doesn't need to happen. I just think getting in the scrum should have been enough. I didn't need to do the stuff after, but it happens, and you learn from it, and you keep moving forward. Are you happy now, BK? Yeah. Are you happy now? Because he's right. Like, it was dumb. He shouldn't have done it. And You're he soft. knows that he shouldn't have done it. You're, You're right. Soft. I am soft, and that's fine. I'm perfectly happy, man enough to admit it, but... <laughs> He clearly was man enough to admit it as well. He yeah. was in the wrong last night. Yeah, it, it came down to the stick swinging incident. Like I said, if yeah. he doesn't swing a stick, I don't think we're having this conversation. No, and I, think and he, I wouldn't have had the conversation. I, 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 more than anything, I think he recognized probably on social media afterwards when everyone was showing the video, and he probably did understand that it just doesn't look good for his image. I know Bennington. He's not a sore loser, although people like to call him a sore loser. Um, but I, I think he realizes that it just didn't look the way that it was supposed to, what he was trying to accomplish. There, So props to him for coming out and talking about it because most guys would just gloss over it and move forward. 100%. Credit to him. He deserves that credit because he admits when he's wrong. And last night he was in the wrong, in yeah. my opinion. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Here's one from the 314. If you could choose having A, a team with great defense and a good offense, or B, a team with good off or great offense rather and good defense, which one are you taking? Is this baseball? Baseball, yes. Okay. Sorry, I should have clarified here. I'm thinking hockey. I'm like, well, wait the a minute. I think next I would... year, you could have two options. On on the first one, you get the great defense with a good offense. The second option is a good defense with a great offense. Which one would you prefer? You put more emphasis on the offense or the defense? For the way that we have seen baseball go about this postseason, I think I'm going great offense and good defense. Um, because I think the Cardinals had great defense in their wild card game, and they had good offense, and look where it got them. It got them packing their bags and going on vacation after one game. I think if you're looking at the way that the Braves have played this postseason, the way that the Astros have played this postseason, you got to have great offense to have success. So I'm going to go great offense and good defense. I think I'm with you. I think I'm going to go great offense, good defense, because it's been a trend for the last five, ten years of just – slugging the ball and that's the that's the way you win in the postseason we've talked about it's the home run ball that's that's how it's won now and the Cardinals have guys that can do it but I think they need another one of those and I think that's how you get to that great offensive standpoint if that means sacrificing just a little bit of defense I'm willing to do it yeah I'm with you guys I would go great offense good defense I love having a great defense but if you told me right now I could trade their good defense for a great offense I'd do it in a heartbeat um, so, yeah, if you're telling me next year, instead of being the number one defense, they are 10th in defense or 8th in defense, something like that. Still quite good, but not not quite the elite defense that they had this year. But they go from 12th or 15th in offense to being top five. Yeah, sign me up. And that's what we're talking about with some of the maximizing of the offense with the platoon splits is, okay, how far down do you fall defensively to maybe gain a little bit more in the standings offensively? Right. So, yeah, I'd, I'd make that trade every time. From the 618, guys, I don't know if I've heard you guys talk about this Blackhawk situation yet. Did you hear what Tave said, and what have you made of the situation? We haven't talked about it much on air. Um, I will say openly and honestly, part of that is because I hadn't had time whenever it first came out to read yeah. enough to feel like I had a good say on what took place. Um, and I don't want to give an opinion on something like that without having been in the know or understanding what exactly we're talking about here. What'd you make of that situation, Alex? Yeah, Curbs and I had a, a long discussion last night on the post game show about it, and you know it, it's such a tough situation to get into because of the sexual assault. And if you don't know what happened, basically there's a player, John Doe, who's come out now, and he's 
basically said he was sexually assaulted when he was a part of that 2010 Blackhawks roster. Um, and, by the video coordinator. By the video coordinator, yeah. And the repercussions are, are just just uh, just tearing through the Blackhawks organization now. They, the president of hockey operations, John McDonough, has stepped down. Stan Bowman, their general manager, has stepped down. Um, and then we found out last night that Joel Quenville resigned from the Florida Panthers. Today we found out that Kevin Dayoff is not going to be have any discipline because he was an assistant GM at the time. Look, it, it's a terrible thing, and... Props to Kyle Beach for coming forward. I watched that 25-minute video that he did on TSN, and, I mean, it it tore me apart. It was a tough thing to listen to, but, I mean, it, it, it's, it's something that is horrible, and it's something that is being brought to light right now, not just in hockey but in pro sports, the USA Gymnastics team. I mean, from top to bottom, it's being investigated. So, um, I, I mean, it, it's just it, it's one of those things that, you hope that the sport can continue to grow from this, but you just feel for that individual and everything that took place. And, um, you know, it's the punishments are taking over right now. And like I said, Joel Quinville, I mean, that's about as big of a hit as you can take for a guy who started a season at 7-0. and But Gary Bettman said it in his after his meeting. He said, look, Quinville, it's the smartest thing that can happen. But Quinville is going to have to be interviewed before he even takes a job once again in the NHL. So it just goes to show you that if the reports are true to where Quinville and the coaching staff and the people in the Blackhawks organization that were made aware of it and that they said that now we'll not deal with this until after we win a Stanley Cup championship. That uh, just isn't how this works anymore in pro sports. It's not about the end goal of a championship anymore as more as it is about individuals and making sure that their health and wellness is more important. And it never should have been about that. It never like should it. have been. I think Taylor Hall put a post out earlier today and said the sport is an, an old boys club and it needs to get away from that. And, and I think that's what is being brought to light right now. It's getting away from this, you know, what goes on in the locker room stays in the locker room. Like, that's not how this works anymore. And I think it should be, to, to be fair to hockey, to be fair to the NHL, this is a societal issue, not yeah. not just an NHL issue. Um, this is something that we are all coming to a reckoning with mm-hmm. in 2021 and have been over the last decade or so. Um Everything that's taken place in terms of the criticism is just. Everything that's taken place in terms of people losing their jobs is just. They should have lost their jobs. They should not be allowed to be in positions of prominence any longer in the NHL. Quinville probably should never coach again in the NHL. What they did during that 2010 postseason run is reprehensible. And I can't believe that that many people were willing to allow a video coordinator, mm-hmm. a video coordinator, yeah. and it, it it shouldn't have mattered who it was, right. but for them to determine that keeping that guy inside of the locker room and continuing to break down video for them was worthy of waiting a month to report a sexual assault from him yeah. because that was what was going to be best for them to win the Stanley Cup, it's disgusting. And it's not just keeping him a part of the team, it's letting him have a day with the Stanley Cup. It's giving him a Stanley Cup championship. Allowing ring. him to have the decision of you can either be fired or, 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 or have away. an investigation yeah. or resign. Right. It's unbelievable. Well, and, and props to the Blackhawks for sending a letter to Lanny McDonald today basically saying like, please take Brad Aldrich's name, the video coach's name off of the Stanley Cup. And the hard part about this is 
the fact that it, it, it simmered and it stewed and nobody went forward with this because basically Brett Aldrich left the Blackhawks organization and went to work with a high school team and then went to work with the, the, the University of Michigan, if I'm not mistaken. He went and worked with college athletics, and there was a 16-year-old who was sexually assaulted as well because of the individual and because the Blackhawks didn't take that and basically have it dealt with at the time. Yeah, and somebody else on the text line from the 636, I feel that you're dead wrong. This should have been handled 11 years ago. Exactly. That's, that's what we're that's saying. That's the thing is that this should have been reported to the proper people 11 years ago. He never should have been allowed to work in hockey in any area of any level ever again. Um, He never should have been able to work with people where he has power over them ever again. And And yet he did, and then he went to prison as a result of it, as he should have because he's a creep. Um, This... Nothing like this should ever happen again in the NHL. They have to learn significant lessons from... And it's not just an NHL lesson, but it's a lesson for a lot of different workplace environments that have. It's workplace environments, it's youth sports, it's anything. If you think there's something going on, you need to be able to be proactive and say something. And the quote that was so alarming was the way that it was presented to Joel Quenville in the legal documents that basically said, well, Quenville was just told that a player and a coach were trying to get into, or a coach was trying to get into the sheets with the player. And it was so much more than that, which that's the problem in itself. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. And I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in about 20 minutes or so. We'll talk to Randy Mueller, former NFL general manager of the saints and the dolphins. I want to ask him about the trade deadline, which is coming up on Tuesday, I believe, What's he expect with this Deshaun Watson situation? Uh, It seems like the Dolphins really might make this move despite all of the lingering questions with Watson. What goes into that kind of a move? Mueller's been in that spot. We'll talk to him about it coming up in about 20 minutes or so. But coming up next, Bob Melvin is leaving Oakland. Does that open up questions about a pitcher from the A's that the Cardinals should have interested? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. Wall-to-wall blues coverage is right here. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So the Padres yesterday announced that they were hiring Bob Melvin. That's a big hire for them. The former A's manager, if you're looking for credentials as a manager, and that's one of the qualities that you're looking for in your next one, this is one of the best. He's been with Oakland for 11 years. He had won three AL West titles. He had been to the playoffs six times. He was a two-time manager of the year back in 2012 and 2018. The Padres are going to be a bigger threat next year than they were this year because their manager actually moves the needle now. Bob Melvin leaving Oakland, though, Alex, I think could be of interest for the Cardinals, not just because he improved San Diego, but also because the team that he leaves behind as a pitcher that I think the Cardinals should and potentially will be interested in. Matt Olson? Not a pitcher. His name is Sean Manaya. And he is a lefty. He's a big kid, 6'5", 245 pounds. And he was one of the top prospects in the sport about five years ago. He did have some injury questions early on in his career. He had an injury-plagued season back mm. in 2019. Perfect for the Cardinals. Otherwise, though, he's been pretty healthy, all things considered. So if, you only, if you're telling me that a, a pitcher had one year where they, were, they had an injury-riddled season, that's kind of the norm nowadays in baseball. So last year, he threw 180 innings, and he did so to the tune of a 3.9 ERA. He's going to be 30 years old next year. 
he is in the final year of arbitration where he's projected to make about $10 million. So you're talking about a guy with a one-year deal, $10 million, 30 years old. He's had a history of a 3-9 ERA. So he's a legit third starter probably for a really good team. I think this is exactly the type of starter that the Cardinals should be looking to acquire this offseason, Alex. I don't know what the price would be. But if you could call the A's and tell them, hey, we will give you Paul DeYoung, a legit starting level shortstop for you, who's got four years left potentially of club control. And I don't know who the second piece would be. Maybe it's a a Johan Oviedo. Maybe they want somebody that's closer to the lower levels. Maybe you're talking about an Alec Burleson. I'm not sure exactly what the A's would be looking for. But if you could get Sean Manaya for DeYoung plus a, a, a good prospect... Is that something that, in your mind, you think the Cardinals should be interested in this offseason? Absolutely, especially because he's a lefty. And I think that's very impactful, not just because he could be a bullpen piece or if he's going to be a starter. But he's you, definitely a starter for you. Yes, but you might use him in a different role. I mean, who knows what they Mania? go about this. Yeah. Manaya would be a starter. But they used him as a bullpen pitcher in Oakland. No, he, no, he, he was started a every game. Yeah, really? Because I thought he was coming out of their bullpen towards the end of the season last no, year. Maybe he's I'm exclusively him. been a starter in his career. But maybe there's another guy that's out there that is on a similar trajectory that you could use out of your pen. But this guy, if you're getting him, the value that he brings is the innings that he's going to be able to pitch for. Him. I just don't think it should stop there if you're looking at Oakland. And if Oakland is going through this transition of getting ready to move to a different destination, I think you should be looking because they're not going to want they're going to want cheap. And I don't even know if they're going to be wanting top prospects. I think they're just going to be wanting something in return because they want to make the transition as easy as possible if you're moving from one place to another. Um, So I I don't know if I'm stopping there. I mean, that's a great starting point, but I think I'm going to see what else I can get from Oakland. I mean, I'm calling them up and finding out. It's what we talked about in the past. If you're looking at an offseason for the Cardinals and you're saying, okay, well, we need to fill this void, this void, this void, and this void – and you only have a certain amount of money to spend in the offseason. And if you don't have that amount of money where you feel like you can fill all of those voids in free agency, well, fill it through trades. And if you can get some NHL-ready players, and, I mean, I'm thinking more of another bat. Maybe it's a bench bat. Maybe it's another fourth outfielder bat. They had Starling Marte that they acquired. Might be a guy to take a look at. Whatever it may be, I'm going to be looking at them for those assets because of this scenario that they're in. But, yeah, Sean Manaya, if everything is – in the situation where you feel like he's progressing and he's not going to have as much injury plagued with him, I'm finding a way to make a move for him. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I think if he becomes available, and I suspect he's going to be available, that I try and find a way to get him. I don't know what it's going to take. If you can include Paul DeYoung, then yeah, I think that's something that I would look at. I think the A's are going to look more for some younger talent, and the reason I say that is because uh, you look at their prospect list, and a lot of their prospects are in that low A, high A range. A lot of their AAA guys are on the verge of kind of graduating. Mm-hmm. So that, and that's part of what their kind of rebuild process is going to be. All right, we'll tear down and we'll be good again in two, three years. So I wonder if they'll look more that route. But I would absolutely make this move. I mean, sure, he has some uh, health concerns, maybe, but I mean, he was pretty healthy last year, made 32 starts. So I'm not too concerned about that. I think if you add Sean Mania, I believe the Cardinals have arguably the best rotation in baseball if everyone stays healthy. And that's a big if because there's about four guys that have question marks in this rotation now. But it solidifies that kind of that fifth spot if you want to because I think you can bump Wayno down to that role now, maybe Miles Michaelis down into that role. And then you could have Alex Reyes as a guy that can stretch out, be that sixth man that you may need in the rotation, gives Libertor a little bit more time to get that final seasoning in AAA. He's an option. Oviedo can get seasoned in AAA if he's not a part of the deal. 
I think this makes a ton of sense for the Cardinals. And I think if you get him, I think you have one of the best rotations in the National League, if not Major League Baseball as a whole. I know in terms of cost control, that's something that the Cardinals are really big on, and they don't like giving up years of control for a guy that potentially could hit free agency after the next year or two. But even if it's not Manaya, like take away the name, take away that specific player, I think this is the kind of thing that I would like them to do this offseason, is maybe trade some of your young starters, the, the depth that you have there, for a guy that is more certainty. So Manaya is kind of the face of this right now that we're talking about, but whether it be him or somebody else that's out there, I don't know who could become available this offseason. I mean, it's all, sometimes there are surprises. Maybe there's another guy that's in year two or three of arbitration that's pricing himself out of his current market. And he's going to make $10, $12 million this year, which is kind of what we're expecting the Cardinals could maybe spend in free agency for that fifth starter. Maybe the route they go is instead of getting him in free agency, maybe you get a better player for the similar price that's younger and maybe you're able to re-sign them after this upcoming season. Maybe that's the route you go. And whether it be Alex Reyes or Johan Oviedo or Zach Thompson, one of the younger guys that's down in the lower levels, I think you could use that depth that you have currently with your pitching to be able to take the quantity and get yourself a little more quality in terms of the back end of your big league rotation going into 2022. I love the opportunity that they could present with something like this, because if you're giving up mid-level prospects that aren't going to be making an impact and not having to give up your big guys, and you're acquiring somebody who was a top-level talent, might just need a change of scenery, but on top of it is in a contract season where he's going out there and trying to make the most money possible being a free agent after the final year of arbitration. I think that's the best case scenario for the Cardinals. The problem is what is the cost? If it is only mid-level prospects and we were texting last night, if it's Paul DeYoung and Alec Burleson and Angel Rondome, if those are the guys that you're giving up, then that's a steal. But if we're getting into the conversation of your big names, Yapez, Gorman, Levator, then there's no way I'm pulling that deal off. But I am going to try and find something like this, a guy who needs a change of scenery, who's not going to be where he is in the future, and try and pull off a deal. That's how I'm going to address my starting pitching need, not in free agency. And the other thing for me is this kind of, he's kind of that bridge guy to get you to Matthew Libertor. Because I don't know if Matthew Libertor is going to be ready. Let me rephrase that. I don't believe Matthew Libertor is going to be ready to be a 30 starter, 30 game starter next year. But I think you can get him seasoning next season. Maybe he does come up and make some spot starts with injuries, or he comes in when you want to do a six man rotation, or he goes in the bullpen and works some games for you, gets that major league seasoning. Sure, Sean Mania is maybe just a one year guy, but that's fine for this team because you have a left handed pitcher prospect that you believe can be just like him that will fill his spot the following season. That's why I think this makes a ton of sense as long as you don't have to give up the big prospects. But my fear is that's kind of what the Cardinals are going to say is they're going to say, well, we have a guy like a Matthew Libertor and Alex Reyes that can do just as well as him. I want more of the sure thing. I, I said that with Jordan Hicks, you can't head into this uh, spring training assuming you're going to get anything from him. I kind of have the same mindset in terms of Alex Reyes as, as a starter. I have no mindset or have no plan on getting any contributions from Alex Reyes in your rotation, and if he does, even better. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's why Like, there are some people that are saying on the text line, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Burleson for a rental is a massive overpay. It very well may be, um, but you're going to have to give up something to get something that you want. And Sean Manaya is a pitcher that if he is made available on the open market, again, he's going to be 30 years old next year. Last year, he started 32 games for the A's, which was tied for the league lead. He had two complete game shutouts in that one uh, or in that season. He's a really good pitcher. 
And if he becomes available, you're going to have to give up something of value. So you can't just give up Paul DeYoung in scraps from down in the minors. It's going to be something good. And I don't know if that's Burleson. I don't know if that's one of your young starters. The A's are going to want something of quality. And uh, he's the type of pitcher that if you're the Cardinals, you should be calling for. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In about 15 minutes, we'll talk about the Blues' third line because they're getting everything they could ask for from that group. But next, Randy Mueller, former GM of the Saints and the Dolphins, he's going to join us to preview next week's trade deadline and what he anticipates happening with Deshaun Watson. Randy Mueller next on 101 ESPN. We're back to more exclusive Blues Talk. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. We are live from the E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. And right now, we are very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Randy Mueller, former NFL general manager for both the Saints and the Dolphins. He was the 2000 NFL Executive of the Year. Randy, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you. So, I wanted to have you on because we are now just a few days away from the NFL trade deadline, and the team that you used to work for uh, has a very interesting few days ahead of them with the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. From a general manager perspective, how difficult is it to navigate a situation like this where there is so much uncertainty surrounding Watson, and how does that play into the potential compensation that you give up for him coming up in the next few days? Well, I think you've said it. I, I don't know that there's been an extreme case like this. I surely, in my time in the NFL, can't remember the uncertainty regarding one player to this level. I just think it's probably caused the highest percentage of GMs to not even be in the mix for that reason, right? There's just so many things that are still up in the air. I think what it tells me is that, that if it's true, the Dolphins are still kicking this deal around, their level of desperation is just almost crazy, you know. I just don't see how – I couldn't do it. I couldn't put together a package for a guy who I don't know when I'll get him, if I'll get him, and in what condition I'll get him. So there's just so much at stake here. Um, if I'm the Texans, why am I trying to sell at a discount? So I would rather have him – be tradable in the offseason when there's more teams with cap space, more teams with a better plan at quarterback, when we can compare Deshaun Watson against draft picks or, or players coming out in next college draft. That won't happen until March. So I just think the timing of it is better for everybody to wait and sit on their hands. But, hey, I've been wrong before. I just see it as an act of desperation by the Dolphins that I couldn't be involved in as a GM, that's for sure. Yeah, Randy, I'm just, I've been confused by the desperation from the Dolphins because you're acting desperate and you're trying to get this guy that you don't even know if you're going to be able to have this season. And, I mean, you drafted a player that you've seen for, what, six, seven, eight weeks maybe as a number one quarterback. But on top of it, are you surprised that their desperation is still there after all of the other general managers for teams that were interested backed out? Well, I guess. I mean, there's. I, I invoke this theory in this case. There's got to be something I don't know, the knowing of which changes everything. <laughs> so I, I just don't – I can't connect the dots, right? Maybe the owner is pushing it. That's what we hear is Stephen Ross really wants to make a splash. I get it. But if I'm Chris Greer or Brian Flores, 
I'm struggling with the whole concept because, yes, I convinced everybody, I as in them, they convinced everybody that with the fifth pick in the draft a year ago, they picked Tua. And so now, like you said, we've only had six or eight games under our belt to judge him. I see a little bit of progress with him. I don't know that he's ever going to be a top 10 or 12 quarterback, but I see him progressing a little bit. And now we're already ready to flip the page. So they've kind of done that in Miami and building their roster the last year or two. They spend money on players that aren't there anymore. So they've had a tendency to to flip-flop on players and team building. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised. Randy, all of the speculation is going to be on that Deshaun Watson trade over the next few days, but uh, there are other teams that could make some impactful moves for their stretch run this year. Who are the teams that you've got your eye on that could maybe go out there and add, maybe it is just a lower level acquisition, but somebody who could legitimately change their fortunes uh, moving forward? Well, I think you've got to look to match up teams, right? So you've got to look for teams that are have uh, dealing with teams that are have nots for the most part you know the nfl had a trade deadline for for years that came after week six and there were very few deals made because you really don't know your team after week six but it's been extended a couple years ago to now be a window that you can trade up until the tuesday after the eighth week which is what we see next tuesday so I think that the, one of the emphasis behind not making this move in the prior years for the NFL was they didn't want bad teams to sell off good teams like they do in baseball at the end of a season. But I actually think it's added a lot of suspense. It's added some things for the fans that's added some speculation. And there has been teams that have gotten better because of this. But I think you're right. We're more apt to see some under-the-radar moves like the Saints getting Ingram the running back. You know, like uh, maybe the Jets getting a Joe Flacco-type player. Uh, The Seahawks, where I live in Seattle, the last three years have acquired Dwayne Brown, uh, Diggs the safety, uh, and Dunlap the defensive end the last three years within a week of the trade deadline. So those are the examples that you can tinker, you can get better. As far as the names, again, I I would hone in on teams who are kind of out of it, maybe like a Jacksonville, maybe like Houston. Those teams seem to be more ready to deal players. And then you've got teams that are kind of on the cusp uh, that, that need to add due to injury or whatever. It's, 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 uh, it takes two to tango, and I think it's hard to predict who's going to make the move for what. Randy, my buddy BK likes average play, mediocre play from football teams. His favorite team right now is the Kansas City Chiefs, who are below average. I keep telling him that it's done for him this year, Randy, but is there a move that the Kansas City Chiefs could make that could put them back into the conversation of contending for a Super Bowl? Fix this for me, Randy. It's not fun to watch Just let them down easy, Randy. (laughs) Well, here's the thing, and I guess this could be viewed as a positive. I think the best move they can make is to look in the mirror. That's the best move I see. Amen. And it really, you know, the the things that they have done, and I'll say this, after losing to Tennessee in the fashion they did last week, it sent me back to the film room. I just couldn't believe it. So I got a chance to look closely at the coach's tape after that game. And a lot of the moves are self-inflicted issues. And I know that's been said in the past that they've turned the ball over here and there, but I do think Tennessee kind of gave a blueprint. It's going to be interesting to see defenses and the way they match up now against the Chiefs going forward because really Tennessee schemed and executed a plan in the secondary that made coverages cloudy it made everything cloudy for KC play callers for Pat Mahomes for the receivers it was a real mess on offense they were completely 
uh, caught off guard. And what I mean by that is Tennessee used every coverage in the book. They used one high safety, two high safety, man-to-man, zone, combinations on either side of the field on the same play. And it really confused Kansas City. And, and I don't think they could operate at full tilt because they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know the defenses they were facing. So they've got to really go back and study some things and the way they do things and, and to actually in, infiltrate a system that can be good against any coverage. And sometimes that takes time. But you're right. I mean, there, there's some things that are inherent with Pat Mahomes. He's got to trust his protection. I'm not sure Orlando Brown's a left tackle, but Pat Mahomes has got to stay in there. Uh, his offensive line need to know where he is. And he can see better from the pocket. When he runs out of the pocket like he does, the degree of difficulty of the plays and the executing of these throws goes way up. All and right. that makes it hard on him. So it's a long, 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 long laundry list. So I apologize for being long-winded, but it's a tough one. No, it's, it's a long laundry list because right now they have the highest turnover rate in the history of the sport. So it's, it's not going well in Kansas City. I just I tend to believe that that will revert at some point because they have Patrick Mahomes. But we're starting to get later in the season now where it's, it's becoming more and more difficult to believe this is just going to correct itself. There's got to be some, like you said, looking into the mirror. Randy, I, I am curious because the AFC, it, it feels to me from the outside looking in like it's as wide open as it has been in years. There's nobody that has fewer than two losses in the conference right now. The Bills... The Ravens, the Titans, the Chiefs, and the Chargers have all basically done a round-robin so far this year, and they've all beat up on one another. Who's your favorite in that conference right now? Well, I'm, I'm going to take the chalk in Buffalo just because I think they are doing it on both sides of the ball, and I like the durability and long-lasting of Josh Allen. So I think they do stand a little bit above the crowd. But I'll tell you what, I would be a little nervous about the Raiders right now because the Raiders are starting to get it together. They're playing a lot freer. Um, I think Derek Carr's 31 of 34 last week has kind of gone under the radar. That's impressive. That is really hard to do at the NFL level. So I think they're in the mix. You know, I think the Chargers have shown signs, but their defense hasn't been willing to come along with them for the ride. Um, If I was going to pick a team, it would probably, you know, Cincinnati is in the mix now. We'll see if they can sustain. But if I had to hang my hat on one, it would be Buffalo for for that reason. Randy, is there a team that you feel like can make a move by the trade deadline and turn themselves into a team that can compete for a Super Bowl? Well, I think the Saints almost have to, I'll be honest with you. The way they played against the Seahawks on Monday night, they just have no big playability and no way to spread the ball around without Michael Thomas. Now, maybe if they get him back, that may be moving up, but I think they've got to go find a receiver. They've got to find another weapon that Sean Payton can use to spread the field where Jameis can actually be Jameis. Right now, he's playing with one arm behind his back, and I don't think that's going to get them to the playoffs. So I think if the Saints could find a receiver, and it sounds like there may be a couple available, that would be a good pick, uh, you know, no matter what they have to give up, really, because they need quality weapons on offense. And, and uh, they've shown a willingness to do that in the past. So we'll see. I've got two quick questions left for you. We're talking to Randy Mueller, former NFL general manager for both the Saints and the Dolphins. He was the NFL executive of the year back in the year 2000. If I told you, Randy, you're back in the general manager chair, but now uh, you get to do something that's never been done. Other than Patrick Mahomes, every other quarterback in the league is available to you, and you get to build your team around them. Which quarterback are you taking? You Patrick Mahomes off the table, but every other quarterback's out there. Who are you taking? You know, I'm probably picking Josh Allen, and I tipped my hand earlier. I just think he's really without uh, 
a bunch of negatives right now, but but I'll give you a sleeper that you may think I'm front runner, which I'm really not. Mm-hmm. I think Dak Prescott is going to be in the hunt for a long range time of MVPs. I just think Dak has raised his level to tier one status to, to steal the term from the athletics, Mike Sando. I just think he's, if you gave GMs a choice, he'd be in their top two or three right now, the way he's playing. And again, we're talking about for the longer term. So I'm eliminating all these 35 year old plus sure. guys. One of those older guys uh, that you referenced there, though, is Aaron Rodgers. And last night, without any of his top targets, they went into Arizona and beat the undefeated Arizona Cardinals 24-21. And what ended up being a really compelling football game. Randy, I feel like I have underrated the Packers all year long. I was hesitant to buy in, and I'm not sure why that was. Are they a legit Super Bowl contender in your mind at this point? Oh, I think they are. I think without a doubt, as long as their defense can hold up its end of the bargain and they played pretty good last night, I think the most impressive thing, and I know Aaron gets all the accolades, but for my money, the way they controlled the ball with the running game, I thought was unbelievable. And the fact that they had to do that, and that surely helped their defense. I don't care what anybody says. It's not sexy. It's not the way to you know, uh, draw TV viewers, but they ran the ball down Arizona's throat. Now, some of that was was Arizona not having J.J. Watt, not having Corey Peters. Those are two really good run defenders. They weren't in the game for Arizona. So it was a a nice matchup for them that I think timing really helped them when everybody thought it would hurt them because they were without the receivers. But I thought their offensive line took a step forward. This is a good team, and and I think it's going to be hard-pressed to not see them back in in the NFC Championship game. He's Randy Mueller, former NFL general manager. You can follow him on Twitter. You should do so at Randy Mueller underscore M-U-E-L-L-E-R. Randy, thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with us today ahead of the NFL trade deadline. Hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. Sounds good, guys. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. That's Randy Mueller joining us here on 101 ESPN. That game last night between the Cardinals and the Packers, Alex, I, I anticipated that the Packers would end up losing that by more than six. I, I thought did they too. were going to lose not just overall, but against the spread as well. Uh, that was really impressive what they were able to do. And Randy's right. They controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball in that one. They were able to shut down, for the most part, the running game for the Cardinals, and they themselves were able to run the ball. They finished with 150 yards on the ground. Wow. Super impressed with the way they were able to win that one without their top three targets for Aaron Rodgers. And it's time to stop sleeping on the Green Bay Packers. They're a legit Super Bowl contender at this point. Yeah, and that was without all of their receivers, like you mentioned there. Uh, it was intri- The part that got me, though, was Kyler Murray's response after the game. And I know what was, was what was everyone was talking about that throw that turned into the interception and and Kyler afterwards just said I don't know what happened there and, and pretty much all of America didn't know what the hell happened there AJ but AJ Green just stopped yeah it was weird it, 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 he didn't even turn around I mean he stood there just facing the defender so um but I'm with you I think you got to give the Packers a little bit more credit now for what Aaron Rodgers and, and Aaron, frankly Aaron Jones has been the one that's impressed me more than anything this season I mean the man is just uh, I mean he is He's not Derrick Henry level, but he is probably a tier below Derrick Henry level for how he has performed this season. By the way, it's just been announced from Adam Schefter from last night's game. Robert Tunyon, the uh, tight end for the Packers, tore his ACL last night, so he's likely to miss the rest of Ooh, the season. And I got to go with a tight end. Yeah, time for you to pick up somebody from the yeah. waiver wire in the you, fantasy league. You know is Gronk available? I, you know how Carp owes me money? AJ Green's going to owe me money if I end up losing my five bucks. He was on my fantasy team last night, and that touchdown would have surely helped. T-Bone, you got a gambling problem, buddy. With Alex Ferrario and T- 
Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The Junk Drawer in about 15 minutes or so. But next, we got to talk about the Blues third line because they've given you everything you could ask for and then some. That's next on 101 ESPN. More Blues talk, more often. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. Get it out there, single. Swats it ahead. He gets it back. He shoots. He scores. The Blues back within one with 3:59 to play. Tarasenko, a laser. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. That was what it sounded like last night here on 101 ESPN. Your home for the Blues with Vladimir Tarasenko extending his point streak. And Alex, Vladdy's had a heck of a start to the season when it comes to goal scoring production. That line as a whole has given you everything you could have asked for from start to finish. And that was the one that Craig Berube going into last night said, hey, I don't want to touch that line. Barbie, Thomas, and Tarasenko have been really good so far. So why would I mix it up? You saw the lines go through a little bit of a blender last night. The one that didn't really get taken to pieces was that one. What have you seen from them that's led to their success so far this year? Man, uh, with the exception of last night, because last night was a tough game for pretty much everybody, but specifically that line because they were unable to clear the zone twice, which led to two goals for Colorado. But it's puck possession with them. I I mean, the Tarasenko goal is a perfect example of – how well that line plays together. Barbashev's back-checking to retrieve the puck, gets it to Tarasenko. Tarasenko pushes it up to Robert Thomas. Craig Berube said yesterday that Robert Thomas is probably the best puck distributor on this team. And to have him play with one of the best shots in the game and Vladimir Tarasenko, it's a one-two punch that you can't deal with. But what really makes that line go is Ivan Barbashev. James Neal played in the first game with that line, and it just didn't work out. Barbashev got pushed up to it in the second line because Neal wasn't Neil wasn't forechecking to the ability that Ivan Barbashev was. And now it's just been clicking. Like, Barbashev knows where those guys are going to be. It's very similar to how Barbashev played with Sundquist and Alexander Steen in 18-19. They got 9 or 20 points in five games together and they're a plus 19 when they're on the ice together it's a dangerous line but as much as I love that line I think you might have to break it up going into next game oh really yeah because the other two lines just really struggled last night like there was no consistency and I I hate to say this but part of me wonders if Robert Thomas or Ivan Barbashev should get an opportunity in one of those center positions because for me it felt like Tyler Bozak looked out of place in those top two Shen was okay but you really couldn't get anything going with Kairou, Bozak, and Buchnevich. But from what it's been so far, it went at full strength. I'm not touching that line. Tanner? Oh, oh sorry. I you, sorry, I, I thought was, you were I was going looking to at something else. I was looking up something. Tanner, would you like to insult my hockey take? Eh, you know, it was fine. Okay <laughs> we are live at the EMB Granite Studio at the Centene Community. That's how you know. Tanner is back in the studio. My apologies for that awkward silence. Tanner, what have you made of this third line so far this year? I think the third line's been great. I I don't know if I – I understand what Alex is saying of kind of trying to split it up so you can get more offense from the other two, but I don't know if I would take it apart. I, I think that the, this line's played so well. I I would keep it together and just see if I can piece it – give it one more game and see if I can piece it together without Ryan O'Reilly. 
I think I'm with you. Um, I, I would like to see more of what they can do together. So far this year, they, they've been on the ice together for 49 minutes. Um, they are five goals for, one goal against when it comes to the five-on-five five times. I, I, they, they've been so good, and I, I hear you, Alex. Last night defensively, there were definitely some warts from Vladdy Tarasenko in particular. Offensively, though, they, they just give you so much. Um, I, I would like to see them stick there for another game. I did want to ask you about Robert Thomas, though. Because he looks like the player. I remember talking to Craig Bruby last summer going into the 2021 season, uh, the, the shortened season in the bubble. I remember talking to Craig Bruby and he said, Robert Thomas has star potential. He still has that in there. And it's just a matter of getting it out of him. Are we seeing him take that step? Because he looks like a better player than what we've seen from him in the last couple of seasons. I think we're seeing him take the next step. I mean, the fact that Craig Berube said he's one of the best puck distributors on the team, he put on some muscle this offseason. I think you've referenced before, he looks bigger on the ice. That's what they wanted from him because they like their centerman to have some size that can forecheck heavy and be that initial guy in on the forecheck. But I think he's taking the next step. I think Robert Thomas desperately needed a, a... talented winger to play with him and that's no disrespect to the individuals that played on on his line prior like you know they had Sammy Blay and Zach Sanford skating with him over the last couple of years he's never had a Vladimir Tarasenko on his line and I think that's important but I think what's also important for Robert Thomas is to get a guy who creates space on the ice that's how Craig Berube designs his line combinations so Thomas is taking that next step I think Thomas is still growing in terms of the two-way forward. Like He's learning a lot from Ryan O'Reilly of how to be just as sound in the defensive zone as he is in the offensive zone. That, for me, is when he becomes to that elite-level centerman, when he can play on both sides of the ice. But in terms of offensive ability, nobody has the eyes that Robert Thomas has on the ice. I I mean, just his ability to find the crease and find the open spaces with his wingers – is second to none. So his offensive ability is continuing to grow. I'd like to see the defensive side of his game grow. But, yeah, I mean, in all honesty, he's trending in the direction of being a top-six centerman for this team. The problem is Braden Shen has been saying playing so solidly yep. for you, and then we all know how great Ryan O'Reilly is. Yeah, that's the thing that's impressed me, though, is that they've been willing to use him so much on the penalty kill. Yeah. Like that, that, to me... They trust him there. More so than anything they say publicly, it's the actions that will tell you how coaches and management feel about a player, whether it be a contract extension or if it is the playing time that they're getting from the coaches... That's when you really find out the truth about how teams feel about players. And them playing Robert Thomas on the penalty kill shows you that trust that you were talking about. And it, it, it's such a big deal under this coaching staff in particular to see that. I loved it, and I hope we see more of it moving forward. Robert Thomas is one of the guys that they need to take that next step because he does have such a high, such high pedigree and such high potential, whether that be here or elsewhere in the future. I think it's going to be here. Um, it, it's been great to see him kind of take that next step in his trajectory. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN in 15 minutes. Are you still interested in Albert Pujols this offseason? Because it sounds like he's expecting to play again in 2022. We'll do that at 1 o'clock. But next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. the junk drawer tanner's a hater doesn't like halloween but alex has a halloween themed 
junk drawer for us today. Alex, what do you have for us, man? Now, why do you throw Tanner under the bus like that? You hate Halloween more than he does. True. What? You hate everything about Halloween BK and the fall. BK hands out greens at Halloween. I'm going to Kansas City tomorrow no, night BK, for a Halloween party. BK hands out rulers on Halloween. Yeah, I at least give out candy. So here's one thing I would that I never w- take candy from Tanner. I, I agree. I do feel bad about this. We're not going to be home yeah, on you're Sunday. You're leaving your wife on Halloween. Uh, she's your my future wife. Um, Sorry, two months away. I'm going to Kansas City tomorrow night for a Halloween party, and then we are going to her family's place on Sunday. So Sunday night, we will not be home to hand out candy. And I do feel sure. like that is, is that a rule where like the first year that you're in a house? No. You definitely need to be there to hand out no, candy. No, because Katie and I weren't there on our first Halloween at our new okay. house. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Am I like, do, oh, the good news for should you I is, put out a bowl with a bunch of candy? No, what do I do here? Just throw what the are, candy on the roof next door and the kids will get it. Okay. That's that was good, wasn't it, T-Bone? <laughs> That's That was a good one. Speaking of wives, happy anniversary to my beautiful wife. Five years together tonight. Thanks, T-Bone. Thanks for the applause. BK, hey, I appreciate the applause. Clap? What was that God, about? You're, you're such a jerk, man. I told you off air already. You were such a jerk. I'd like you to say it on air. Anyway, my Halloween story today, boys. Congratulations to no, both it, of you. We're, you we're, and your lovely wife, who is no, far more enjoyable, enjoyable to be around. Yeah, anyway. We're past that now. It's like okay. you telling Ali Marmal congratulations on the job the day okay. after you spoke to him. Like, maybe you should have said it the day of. Anyway, how much would you guys be willing to pay to stay at a famous home in a movie. Are we going back to this? Didn't we do this one? What? Tanner, did we do this one already? I don't know what he's talking about, so... I'm assuming this is a haunted house. No, this isn't a haunted house. Okay. <laughs> Wait, you said it was Halloween-related. What do you mean it's not it a haunted house? It is Halloween-related. Will you let me freaking finish? You just answer the question? I, I mean, I'm not paying to stay in a haunted house. Okay, this isn't a haunted house. <laughs> if you had an endless amount of money... No, this is a famous house from a movie. Okay, I mean, I, I might pay, like, a normal rate to stay at Three a hotel. Three and a half million? No, okay. Alex, no. Okay, sure, well, I can just pull that out of a hat. The, if you had an unlimited amount of money. So, like, we've seen and in the past, like, like the, <laughs> the house from Home Alone, right? Or the house from yeah. Full House. Those have been for sale and people Mike can Schultz buy house. them. It just went on sale. I, I, I don't think that goes into the same category. But anyway, have any of you seen Nightmare on Elm Street? Okay, so no, no. it's not a haunted house. It's not a haunted house. It's a house from a movie. Yeah, back in the day. Back in the day. Anyway, the Freddy Krueger house. Yeah, it's on sale right now for three and a half million dollars. Oh Why would anybody want to buy? And this that? is a tiny, like this isn't that big of a house. I think I looked at it. It's got like three beds and one bath or one and a half baths or something like that. Like for three and a half million dollars, that's a tiny house. Who would pay that much money to just say, "Oh, I lived in the Nightmare on Elm Street house." I'm good. I don't need that in my life. Mm-mm. Three and a half million dollars. I will say it might be a good investment because I know there are people that are unlike us that very much enjoy going to spooky haunted places. I don't know what or, you're talking about. I love doing that. Um, places that have been in movies. So maybe you could rent it out. And then after you purchase it, you end up having it as a, I don't know how you're going to make three and a half million dollars off of it, but a place where you can potentially make a little bit of comes cash. down to the cinephile people to where it's like, oh, I want to stay where these people like and I forgot how much that Home Alone house went for, but, like, that one was justifiable because it had, like, seven or eight bedrooms and, like, three or four bathrooms. Like, it was a mansion. But for $3.5 million, this isn't that big of a house. But just so you can say I stayed in the Nightmare on Elm Street house. Nah, I'm good. Uh, 65780 is your comfort service text line. What do I do for Halloween? If I'm not going to be home and I do feel bad about the fact that kids in the neighborhood, and there's quite a few of them, especially next door. Um, like seven of them next door. What, what do I do to make sure that they are still able to have the full Halloween experience? They don't feel like we're putting them off to the side. 
um, that we are still involved in the Halloween proceedings, despite the fact that we're not going to be home. Alex, do you stay home on Halloween night? Tonight's going to be the first night we've stayed home since Katie and I got married. Or not tonight. Halloween will be the first time we've stayed at home since we've got married. Because usually we go out with our nieces. And now that we have our daughter, we're going to stay home. That was the other thing that we went into because I tried to talk to Katie. Like, we're not taking her trick-or-treating, are we? Like, how bad of parents do we look if we walk up to a door with a seven-month-old and like, hey, trick-or-treat, give her candy because it's for us. <laughs> but, no, I, I mean, we've never stayed at home. And, honestly, I, I don't think we've been concerned about it. Like, so we're not home for it. Like, I don't think that really matters. I don't think I'd be worrying about it. Yeah, I'm not. I, You're I, like, what, 28 years old? Like, yeah. who cares? Well, I mean, it's part of the camaraderie of being a neighborhood, right? We're okay. in a cul-de-sac. And Enough that's... of this already, camaraderie of neighborhood. Like, Curves gives me this trouble all the time that I'm not a good neighbor. What does it matter? I'm a fine neighbor. I'm not sure I'm a great neighborhood guy. Like, You're not a great neighbor. you got kids next door climbing on roofs, and you haven't done anything about it. Yeah, no what? kidding. I told you walked him. out and you said, hey, I don't think you should be up there. Yeah, what else do you want me to do? The kid's like two years old. Well, there's one that's two. He's going to give you the middle three, finger. There's another that's seven. There's one that's 13. If like, you were a, a good neighbor, you'd call the cops. To the point, though, BK, I, Halloween, who really cares? We all know what season we're ready for, right? We're, we're ready for the oh, Christmas don't season. Don't play it. Yeah. Now, this is what we're talking about. Sleigh bells ring. It is Dean Martin, and I'm okay with Ryder this. looks like he's in pain. He's seeing Christmas. Well, that's just because he's, that's well, he's dressed like Ted Lasso. Well, songs that are taking place yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> have like this rock bed underneath Dean Martin's does Christmas it, does song. Does it make Winter Wonderland a little bit better? No. Can we, oh. get, can we get to November 1st before you start listening to Christmas music, man? No, no. See, I do it every night when I go on my walk now. To get the nice, cool breeze, go for your walk, and you're listening to Dean Martin. Oh, BK, final, final synopsis here. You're a bad neighbor with or without being there for Halloween. That's fair. Coming up in 15 minutes, the Packers don't date, get the respect that they deserve. And Neither now it's you. time to ask why. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, Albert Poole says he's interested in playing in 2022. He wants to come back are you interested in having him back we'll talk about it next on 101 espn we're back to more exclusive blues talk 101 espn is live from the centene community ice center brought to you by bud light and enb granite bernie federko's only choice for granite countertops cabinets and flooring With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So, Albert Pujols told the Orange County Register this week. Oh, the OCR. He would like to play again in 2022. He wants to come back, and he is showing everybody as much by playing in the Winter League. He's playing down in the Dominican this year. It's the first time that he has done so. He was actually traded this week uh, on his Dominican team. And, Alex, this brings up the obvious question here in St. Louis. Do you want him here? Because he was tremendous last year against left-handed pitching. He has a very specific role. He can start for you maybe as a DH or first baseman against lefties here in St. Louis. Probably just the DH. And he can be a pinch hitter late in the game in a big spot against a left-handed pitcher. Is he somebody that you're interested in this offseason as a bench bat while also knowing, hey, there are some kids that are coming up and there are other options out there on the open market. Are you still interested in Albert Pujols as a bench bat next year? I don't think I'm interested as much anymore. Um, because of Juan Yepes, and I would imagine that those two are very similar individuals. Like they're probably going to be saying in the same capacity, Yepes is a first baseman slash outfielder for you. Um, 
I understand the nostalgia side of bringing Pujols back and saying, oh, one last year for him, Yachty, and Wayno. But I just don't think he puts you closer to a World Series this year. I think there are other names out there that could fill your bench. And we talked about this yesterday, right? You're talking about 13 players, position players on your roster if you're going to go 13 pitchers. And eight of those positions are pretty much solidified. Nine of those if you consider the DH. So you got four spots on your bench. One's a catcher. I just don't know if I want to clog that up by Albert Pujols. Would love to see him here. Will not be upset if he does sign a contract with the Cardinals. But I think I would rather see a Wanya Pez in that role than an Albert Pujols. Yeah, it's 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 618. Guys, did he say he wants to come back to Major League Baseball or wants to come back to the Cardinals? I should clarify there. I was not clear. He said he wants to play again in Major League Baseball in 2022. He didn't specify that he wants to play here in St. Louis, although it was reported around the time when he was released from the Angels that he would like the opportunity to come back in St. Louis if possible. Tanner, where are you at on this? Would you like to see Albert back next year? Do you think that it makes more baseball sense for them to go elsewhere? I'm torn on this. I, I would love to see Albert come back and have that kind of that, like Alex said, that kind that final ride with him, Wayno and Yachty. But on a baseball sense, I kind of like I said, and I'll bet I was wrong when I said when he was released from the Angels that the Cardinals shouldn't sign him. Because I didn't think either was a fit for him, and I was wrong. He he would have been an asset for them. But yeah, you owe Curbs a lot of alcohol because of that comment. No, no, not true at all. Uh, so, uh, but I don't think it makes sense baseball wise because I think now I do agree. You probably need to bring in a veteran. I think Alex brought this up yesterday. You had to bring a veteran bat in to help that bench, and Pools would be the great guy to do that to help Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes learn uh, alongside him. Lars Newbar throw in insert kid here. Uh, I I just think. It doesn't make as much sense because he would be that platoon bat at that DH spot against lefties. Uh, I just don't know what I don't know who you want to replace him with on the roster. That's what I'm trying to say because I like the idea of Yepes and Gorman potentially platooning at that DH spot. It, so that's why it's, to me it doesn't make as much sense baseball wise. Am I crazy to think that bringing Pools back kind of takes away some of that nostalgia for Yadi and Wayno too? Maybe a little bit because I, because I think that. Those guys have a different type of nostalgia to where they started and end their career with the Cardinals and Pools would kind of be jumping in kind of towards the end. Like part of me wonders if nostalgia purposes aside, like you just let those two guys go out on top in St. Louis with the spotlight. I don't know how much that'll play into the decision, but I think there's something to it at least. You know, this is supposed to be a year that is is going to be special for those two guys. And if you bring back uh, Pujols, is it split three ways now as opposed yeah. to just the two? Probably. Yeah, there's some of that. I'm not sure that those guys would care, though. No, I, I, don't I think, think they, they would, would actually embrace it. Yachty would and, love and it. Appreciate it. Um, so I don't think that's going to be a, a, a determining factor as to whether or not you should bring him back. I think for purely baseball reasons, I can kind of see both sides of it, but I lean towards no. I think there was a better fit for the Cardinals last year on the roster than there is this upcoming season. I think when you look at where they're at right now with their bench, if you end up going with like Lars as one guy, if you go with Yepes as another, and then uh, Gorman as a third, you basically got one spot remaining on your bench. And I want to have an impactful veteran rather than a guy who can only hit one side of the pitcher. That, and I also want a guy who can play multiple positions defensively. Yeah, because that's one outfielder and two infielders. Yeah, and, and Yepes... He's a third baseman by nature. That's where he used to play, and that's probably where he's best defensively. 
it sounds like he's just not really ready to play anywhere else at the major league level right now defensively. He's a DH slash third baseman, and here in St. Louis, he's not playing third base. Um, and you've got other options that would be better defensively there. So Yepes's only value to you on the major league level is his bat. So you've got Lars Newbar, who's the outfielder, and you've got Nolan Gorman, who can play second and third. I think I want other guys that have a little bit more position versatility for me. And Albert doesn't really bring that. So I bring up his name all the time, but he's just symbolic of what I would rather have. I think I would rather have a guy like Matt Duffy who can come in and play all over the diamond. And he gives me more versatility that way, especially if there are injuries that take place uh, that as opposed to Albert, Albert still crushes lefties. There is value to having him, but it does decrease a little bit of the flexibility, both positionally and on your roster, because you can't move him in and out as opposed to some of these young guys that you have right now. Yeah. And I, I do think, to Tanner's point, it would be good to have a guy like Albert Pujols help those younger players. Like, there's nothing better than Juan Yepes and Nolan Gorman being able to work on a daily basis for 162 games of Albert Pujols. But I don't even know if Matt Duffy cuts it for me. And I know we've talked about him, and he seems like his bat plays. But I'm thinking more of a guy like an everyday player type of person off of the bench, like a Rosario or a Schwarber or something like that. Who I'd might be down. That's just going to be way more expensive. Uh, understandably so. But My I, route is probably – what I'm talking about is if you sign a shortstop probably. I, I got Yeah, that makes sense. But I just – I need a bat off of the bench that's my go-to bat and then take some of the pressure off of Gorman and Yepes. And I think with Matt Duffy, I mean, he's a great hitter. He's a contact guy. He's an on-base guy. But I want somebody with a little bit more threat off of the bench before I'm going to Nolan Gorman and Juan Yepes. Yeah, I, I think Yepes might give you that. I, I think that's why I, I'm interested in having him. But on is the he ready roster. to give you that on the major league side? I don't know, but I want to find out. And I think if you have Albert Pujols on the roster next year, I don't think you're going to find out if Yepes is ready yet because yeah. they, they kind of fill the same roster spot. I really do think this might be a decision where the Cardinals have to have to make a choice. What do we think? Do we think Juan Yepes is ready to go? And if he is, we're going with him. Or would we rather have Albert Pools for that spot on the roster? Um, and, and I think for me, I know this sounds strange because I'm, I'm basically saying we're taking an unknown over Albert Pools, Albert freaking Pools. But I think that's what I'm doing. I think I would rather see what Juan Yepes can do for this team next year than Albert Pools. Yeah, the one thing that I don't like about Pools is he's one position and that's it. Yepes, and I understand right now it is just third base, but you could groom him into first base. You could groom him into a corner outfield spot. I don't like the fact that you have one guy on the bench who can only play one position for you. That's my only hesitancy with Pujols. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's get to the NFL weekend look ahead. What's the game you're most interested in watching this weekend? And who's your upset pick for the weekend? We'll get to that coming up. And why don't the Packers get the respect they deserve? We'll talk about it all next on 101 ESPN. More Blues Talk, more often. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. Yeah, Halloween version, baby. Time for the NFL weekend look ahead. It's a decent slate in the NFL. It's a little better on the college football side, but there are some good games this weekend in the NFL, Alex. What's the one that if you could only watch one game this weekend, you'd be making sure you're tuning in for that I one? I think it's the Cowboys and Vikings one, and if that's going to be depending on Dak Prescott because if Prescott doesn't play, I think it takes some of the um, interest out of it. But 
we talked earlier this week about locking in playoff teams in the NFC, and we said the one you can't lock in yet is the Saints because you don't know what the Vikings are going to do. And that's why I'm interested in this one. Are the Vikings, what they have shown the last few weeks, like an actual playoff team, or is that just kind of a a fog of what that team truly is? Because you're going to go up against the, the Cowboys, who I think win healthy can compete for a Super Bowl this year. So that's the one I'm looking forward to the most. Tanner, what's your game for this weekend? I, I think mine's going to be Titans at the Colts because this is really going to be the battle of the uh, AFC South. And I don't understand how the Colts are two and a half point underdogs. I'll just be honest. I feel like favorites? Titans or sorry. Yeah, favorites. I know they're at home, but I feel like the Titans are such a better team than them and the way Derrick Henry's playing. But Vegas must see something here. So that, that game intrigues me the most this weekend. Those are the two for me, but I will give you one other. Actually, I'll give you two others, but one that I'm really focusing in on. Bengals and Jets. Nope, not that one. Rams, Texans. Not that one either. (laughs) Whatever Detroit's playing. Panthers, Falcons is interesting to me. Why? Because one of those two teams is going to find their way into the playoff. You got fired up about the flower conversation, didn't you? Yeah, that's what it is. You want to see that root come out of the ground, huh? I don't know how that applies when that is the Eagles coach who said it. Oh, you jerk, T-Bone. The Panthers-Falcons is interesting. Oh, I thought he said Eagles. Never mind. Panthers-Falcons is interesting to me because the Panthers could get right back to 500, 4-4 on the season, or the Falcons could find themselves sneakily at 4-3. I don't think either of these teams is very good. I I should say that, but... It doesn't matter if you're good or not, if you've got the right record. Last year, we saw some teams in the NFC sneak in despite not being very good. Yeah, that was because the NFC East was a joke and nobody wanted to make the playoffs out of it. I mean, look at the NFC this year. You've got like five teams that I think are pretty good. But after that, there's going to be two more spots that are open for you. Dallas, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, Arizona, and uh, the Rams are all really good teams, all deserve to make the playoffs. After that, who do you trust? Because right now, the next teams up are the Saints and the Vikings. I don't know if I trust those two teams. I mean, why couldn't the uh, Falcons end up at 10 and 7, 9 and 8? Same thing is the case for the Carolina Panthers. I'm not putting those teams completely to rest yet, so I want to see who emerges out of that game having a legitimate chance. The other one that I would throw into this mix as well is the Bucks versus the Saints. I don't trust the Saints. I don't think they're a very good team. If they are if they are able to overcome that though in this game at home against the Bucks and they play well, Okay, that would tell me a little something different. And now next week, instead of talking about the teams that could maybe come out of that sixth, seventh spot, the Saints will be that sixth team clearly in the NFC. I thought Tanner had to say something. He never uh, does. Oh, no, I, you know, I was just like nod my head here. Man, that's really Because good. his head's blown because he thought that the Panther Panthers coach was the one talking about flowers. What is the upset that you are here. expecting this weekend? Who is the team that against the spread you are picking them straight up to win in an upset? Man, this I'm is, good at these. I know this is T-Bone's terrible takes, but I think I might have one here. I'm picking the Lions over the Eagles. Woo-hoo-hoo. After that soft flower comment from Nick Sirianni, I think uh, – I think the Lions might win this one. Look, the Lions have been close in a couple of games. I don't believe they're going to go 0-4 this season, and I think their best shot is taking on this Eagles team at home. Eagles are a minus 3.5 in this game, which means that they're they're giving the Lions a little bit of a chance here. If the Lions' defense can hold up, and frankly, if Jared Goff can stop being terrible, I think the Lions can pull an upset and pick up their first win over the Eagles this week. I, I'm with you. I like the Lions in this one over the Eagles. The other one that I also like is I like Jacksonville on the road in Seattle. Yep. Yep. Geno Smith looked pretty bad in that, uh, what was it, Monday night against, I don't even remember who they were playing. 
but it was that bad. It was forget. Oh, the Saints. It was forgetful from Geno Smith. They looked terrible. I think they had one big play, and that was it. It was like the first drive. I think they lose this week into Jacksonville. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to have a good game, and Jacksonville is going to go on the road and take down Seattle. Love that pick. I'll give you two more. Washington going on the road into Denver. I think they've got a real shot to be able to win that one. The other one that I like, I kind of like the Bears at home. Going up against the San Francisco 49ers, I liked the 49ers coming into the season. This is just not the team that I expected them to be. I know a lot of that is because of injury. They're just not very good right now. Um, They got blown out pretty bad last weekend against the Colts. Uh, I I think I might take the – I think I will take the Bears straight up at home against the San Francisco 49ers. I like your Jaguars pick as well. And then watch out for the Washington football team. That's a sneaky one as well. Who is the individual matchup that you are most looking forward to this weekend? Is there an offense versus a defense, a coach versus one another, um, specific position group that's going up against another? Who is the individual matchup that you're most looking forward to this weekend, boys? How about Sirianni against his own team after that (laughs) stupid flower comment? That's a pretty good one. They're going to be fired up. Uh, Mine's Ben Roethlisberger versus the Browns defense. I think the Browns defense is, is a little ticked off after these last couple of weeks, and if they know Baker's back but not 100%, and you got a pretty soft Pittsburgh offensive line. I think this is one of those games that uh, Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney just eat away at that offensive line. So um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty interested of what Ben Roethlisberger does against that defense because I have a feeling we're going to look at a, a minus performance in fantasy purposes for Big Ben. I'm going to the Monday night game. I, I'm interested to see what this Giants offense looks like against this Chiefs defense because I feel I'll like tell it, you, much I'm t- better. I feel like the Chiefs should blow them out. They're nine and a half point favorites, but I just get the feeling that this game is going to be a shootout and this game is going to be close. And I have a feeling Daniel Jones, and I never thought I'd say this this year, is going to have a good game and put up some big numbers. I That matchup intrigues me because that Chiefs defense, whew, I could throw a touchdown pass against them. I would be taking Giants plus nine and a half every damn day of the week in this matchup. I actually would go the opposite. I think this is the week that the Chiefs look good. I mean, they're going up against a bad team. Buddy, I told you to stop living in denial. They look bad against the good teams. Next week when they play the Packers and the Packers are on 10 days rest, that's when you bet the Packers. This week, I, I think this is the week that you actually take the Chiefs. I think I want to see what the Patriots defense is able to do against Justin Herbert in L.A. The Patriots quietly have played pretty well over the last four weeks. Remember that game against Tom Brady and the Bucs? They were close in that one. They had a real shot to be able to take them down. Then they beat the Houston Texans. They went to overtime against Dallas. That was an impressive game from them as well. And then last week against the fake team in the New York Jets, they were able to win. I'm really curious to see what they look like this weekend against the Chargers. We've talked about in the NFC that back end of the playoff mix. Not sure if the Patriots are going to be able to get there or not. But they've got a chance, and it would have to start with a game like this. They've got to pull off an upset at some point this year. Their defense going up against the L.A. Chargers is something that I'm looking forward to watching this weekend. All right, breaking down the game last night, because we have seen one game so far this week, and it was a good one, boys. Thursday night football, Packers against the Cardinals. I was surprised to see the Packers emerge from that one as the victors. I didn't think that they were going to be able to do it without their top three targets offensively. Alex, at this point, is it time for us to give them the respect of being the number one team in the NFC, or are you still questioning whether or not they are at at that uh, spot in the NFC? I'm still questioning it because, yes, they did beat the Arizona Cardinals, but I do think Arizona is better than what 
they showed last night against Green Bay. Look, Green Bay was impressive without any of their wide receivers, but as Randy uh, Miller told us, who was on with us earlier today, like Arizona was without J.J. Watt and Corey Peters, and those are some important players, and look where Green Bay excelled. It was the running game with Aaron Jones. Um, I, I wonder if that game's a little bit of a different outcome if both sides are healthier. Um, I would definitely put them up there now with the Arizona Cardinals as a one-two punch. I think those two teams are better than Tampa Bay right now in the NFC. Oh, see, I don't want to bet against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I, I throw them into this conversation. I I think they're better than Arizona, and I, I know that the Rams lost Arizona. I still believe they're a better team than Arizona. I just I just cannot buy in on Cliff Kingsbury and this team, and I get that they're 7-1, and one, but I don't know. Last night felt like maybe that game that kind of starts to turn the season around in terms of Arizona maybe starting to trend back towards, not mediocrity, but maybe back towards where I thought they could be, which is around, uh, oh, wait, we play 17 games, 12-5, and five, something like that. So I, I, I put Tampa Bay ahead of them. I think Green Bay last night proved me they're the best team in the NFC. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the best team in the NFC. I still feel that way. I know they lost against L.A., and they, they did not look good in that game at all. Their defense was awful in that one against the, the Rams. I still think that like when, when push comes to shove and we get to the postseason, you're telling me I'm going to pick against Tom Brady and that defense? I'm just not going to do it. So I, I, I'm not sure they're going to lose again this year. Uh, in, in the regular season. They do have a game still remaining on the schedule against Buffalo, but other than that, guys, listen to the schedule for the Bucks At New Orleans, at Washington, the Giants, at Indy, the Falcons, uh, the Saints again, two against Carolina, and one against the Jets. Where are the losses coming from for that team? That Jets game for sure. Yeah, exactly. Like, I... I think that they really have a good shot of going at least 15 and 2, maybe 16 and 1 this year. So for me, I'm still sticking with the Buccaneers, but I don't want to do what I've done all year, which is underrate the Packers. And I don't know why I'm doing it. This is a, this is a reflection on myself, not on anybody else. You talked a lot Alex at the beginning of the year on how uh, the national analysts were underestimating what the Blues were and they just kept doing it even despite them winning early on in the season. I've done that with the Packers. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's it's me being bored by Aaron Rodgers, by us watching him for the last decade. He's been great every year. And then we get to the playoffs, and it feels like their defense has a poor performance, and they they end up underperforming in the playoffs. Maybe this is just me trying to get ahead of it this time around. But for whatever reason, I just don't completely buy in. I think I would still rank them as like the fourth-best team in the NFC. I might even take the, the the Cowboys over the Packers if Dak Prescott is fully healthy right now. Mm. Ah, man. I, I just don't know if I would do that yet. And I've I've been behind the, uh, the Cowboys a lot this season, but I just don't know if I would do that after watching how Aaron Jones has been playing. I mean, he seems unstoppable. The, the biggest holdup for me for the Green Bay Packers was how their defense performed. And over these last couple of games, they've been a lot more impressive than what they were at the early portion of the season. For how you feel against Tom Brady, I kind of feel this season with Aaron Rodgers because it's that it's that last dance season for him. He's one of those guys that it's just every week it's hard for me to look at and say, man, I just don't think you're going to pull it off. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think part of the reason I kind of underrated the Packers, same thing with Alex, is the defense. It's not so much the the lack of faith I have in the defense is more of just the injuries that they've had. And, and like the guy that had the interception last night was on Arizona's practice yeah. squad a couple of weeks ago. So that tells you how beat up they are. But everybody that has kind of filled in for them has really kind of 
played well. And then when they get start to get healthy, then I think they become a really dangerous team. And I think that's probably why I've kind of been sitting back on them was I thought, ah, oh, they got all the injuries. Surely they can't continue to win games. And they continue to do it and prove me wrong. Yeah, it's unfair of what I'm doing here um, because they have proven at every point, basically since week one, that they are one of the best teams and they are a legit Super Bowl contender in the NFC. But for some reason, I can't pinpoint exactly what it is. I, I just don't trust them uh, long term. I, I trust the Bucks more than them. I think I trust the Rams more than them. Um, and, and I might even take the Cowboys over them. I would probably have them fourth right now in the NFC. I do like them better than Arizona long term. And last night we saw a little bit as to why Kyler, even at the end of that game, he just gets banged up. And I think over the long haul, that's something that we're going to continue seeing from him. So I'll probably have them fourth in the NFC. They're a really good team, but I wouldn't be able to put them above some of those uh, Super Bowl contenders, as we've talked about so many times. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll cross things over at the fast lane in about 15 minutes or so. But next, let's play a game of one got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go next on 101 ESPN. Wall-to-wall blues coverage is right here. 101 ESPN is live from the Centene Community Ice Center. Brought to you by Bud Light and E&B Granite. Bernie Federko's only choice for granite countertops, cabinets, and flooring. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Comfort service text slide for one's got to go. This one comes from the 636. BK's annoying habits edition of one's got to go. It's Peloton, Chiefs fandom, bad taste in food, or pestering tan about a da- Tanner about a date, rather. Oh, man. So the pestering Tanner about a date. That's is, more Ferrari. That's more Alex than yeah. me. I try not to bring that up too much. I feel bad for my guys. Because guy BK's They're been just there before. jealous text of my game. It's just, it's a it's a dry spell. He'll get it back. I'm, I'm not worried about it. Can him. it be a dry spell if he's never had actually oh, okay. a spell? That's not kind. Of, like I you said, You think that's it's not a dry me. spell. You don't know what goes on in my private life. How much do you really know about me? Well, I, not I mean, a lot. I, I would not imagine there's not a whole lot of action in your grandma's basement. Who said I was at her basement? Oh, boy. We got an apartment coming soon, right? True. So maybe that maybe that changes something. Maybe that's how you get a spell By the going. Way, all I'm going to say is good coworkers and quote-unquote friends would help me move in. Yeah, no, I'm I, busy I, next to yeah, I, I don't, I don't sure. help people move in. I don't ask for help moving, and they don't ask me for help moving. That's how this ask, works. You guys you helped me, me move in. I moved into a house. Yeah, but you don't have anything. Ferrari will ask me to mow his freaking lawn all the time. That's true, but I have offered Who's to pay, pay you, you for that. Like, well, Offer me money, me and I'll stuff. come help you move. Yeah, offer me money. Uh, BK's annoying addition. I'm okay with the cheap stuff because that's easy to make fun of. Um, the Peloton, I mean, that's just BK bragging because he likes to ride a stationary <laughs> okay. bike. Like, you could make a Peloton with concrete blocks in, in your bicycle in your garage. Um, what was the other one? Making fun of Tanner? Yeah, food. I do the Tanner thing. So, the bad taste in food is just really obnoxious because he acts like he's like a food connoisseur, but yet he doesn't know good pumpkin seeds when he tries them. So, I'm going to go with that one. That one's... uh. That one's got to go. Well, pumpkin seeds do stink. So. They're awful. No, they're not. I'm not going to rip on his food takes. Even Donnie Fandango walked by and looked at me, and he said, terrible taste in pumpkin yeah, seeds. And it, I said, Donnie, we're going to fight about this. All right, one's got to go break edition for school. 
fall break, spring break, Christmas break, or summer break. One's got to go. Which break are you getting rid of from your school day? From your school day? What's Alex? fall break? I don't think I ever yeah, got I was a fall break. Say I'm getting rid of fall Thanksgiving, break. Thanksgiving, right around that was like three days. So yeah, I'm getting rid of fall break. Fall break was the worst because when you came back. You were essentially just counting down the weeks until Christmas break. It was finals time. Yeah. It was so stupid. So fall break was just like, can we just push through this? Spring break was always fun. Summer break is the perfect one. And Christmas break always had great holidays in it and Christmas and New Year's. So, yeah, fall break's got to go. I'm with you. Fall break's got to go. It's three days. And as you said, then you come back and you've got just a couple weeks before finals are there, which is stressful. So I'm getting rid of the fall break. Yeah, this one's easy. I'm surprised this was even a question from somebody. The fall break is shorter. It's in the worst season out of the four. There's less to do. And you come back and you've still got two more weeks before you have the next break, which is the better one in the Christmas break. So fall break's clearly the answer here. One got to go former and current Cardinals manager edition. Tony LaRussa, Mike Matheny, Mike Schiltz, or Oliver Marmol? Oh, you just had to throw in Ollie there, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Mike Matheny's got to go for me. Yep. Was never, never on board with that. Even when they went to the World Series, I'm like, meh. I'm yeah. with you. I, I'm getting rid of Matheny. These are way too simple he right now, guys. He benefited from uh, the roster around him. Yeah, That's there's too all much agreeing. And he's the manager of the Royals now, so really don't like him. One got to go. In a bad spot. Classic candy edition. Candy corn, Tootsie Roll, Super Bubblegum, or M&M's. Candy corn, Tootsie Roll, Bubblegum, or M&M's. An unpopular opinion here. I don't like regular M&M's. Big fan of the peanut M&M's. Yeah. Your food takes are terrible. No. Are, are you saying that you're getting rid of it? No, 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 no. I was just saying unpopular opinion there. The proper answer here is candy corn. Candy corn is trash. Candy and anybody cor- who gives it yeah, out, you true. should be arrested. Candy corn. It's a felony. Candy corn has always been like the most disgusting pieces of candy that have ever been created. I just don't understand. It's melted wax. Like you have it in a oh. candle in your house. Candy corn is the pumpkin seeds okay. of candy. No, that's not true, true. actually. No, that is true. true. I don't know why it became a thing. True. The only reason it is a thing is because it, it looks the part of the season. It is a decoration, not something you should eat. You guys it is inedible. Pumpkin seeds are not decoration. Pumpkin seeds you eat. You're right. Decorate, or sorry, pumpkin seeds are trash. They just belong in the trash. You oh. pull them out, you throw them away, and it's done. <sighs> What's it like to be dumb Six, your five, entire seven, eight, life? Oh, is the air comfort service X line for one's got to go. One got to go quarterback edition, young quarterback edition. Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, or Joe Burrow? Murray, Allen, Herbert, or Burrow, which one's got to go? I think I would get rid of. Oh, man, I think I'd get rid of Kyler Murray. I just don't know if he projects. Not as, not as a starting quarterback, but him running around as much as he does and for how small he is, it scares me. If I have to keep one of these four as a quarterback for the future, I think I'd get rid of Kyler Murray. Then the other two, Burroughs, I think is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL before too long. Herbert's unbelievable. Allen's up there right now. So I think I'd get rid of Kyler Murray. Yeah, I'm the same with this one. I think if I'm looking at those other three, those other three project as franchise quarterbacks. And I know Kyler has looked great this season, but... He just, for me, that's, he's on a path that's not going to say sustainable his entire NFL career compared to the others. I think all these guys are really good, so it's a, it's a difficult decision, but I'm with you guys. I would go with Kyler Murray as the one out of these four that I would least want to build around. 
and it is the durability that I have legitimate questions about. I don't know how long he's going to be able to sustain this level of running, and so much of his value is in his ability to run around. He's a really good player, but if you're telling me I could get him or one of these other three, I'm taking the other three over him right now. All right, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. One got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. One got to go Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, or New Year's. Holiday edition. Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, or New Year's. Tanner, you can say Halloween, and then we'll get this out of the way, and then the the, the adults in the room will have the conversation. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Says the guy's dressing up. Uh, I, Halloween's that's, that's the one. That's actually a great comeback. <laughs> Halloween's the one to get rid of. What were the other ones? Christmas is great. Thanksgiving, you get the food. New Year's is no, always thanks, fun. Yeah, Thanksgiving and New Year's. Yeah, thanks, or New Year's is always fun just to kind of have a little get together, celebrate, turning the calendar. Halloween, there's like no point for Halloween. Someone just said, hey, you know what I like to do? I like to do LARP in the park or whatever. And so let's just create a holiday in the end of October and we'll call it Halloween. And eh, what the hell? We'll scare kids for fun too. Tanner, when you become a father in 20 years from now, then I'll you'll do, see, then I'll do you'll Halloween. You'll see the but enjoyment on your children's less. face. No. no. Don't you wait? I mean, they're gonna have my jeans. They're not gonna not, like it's Halloween. Not just, it's not just for you, man. You got to think about the other people here. And the one that causes a lot of joy is Halloween. The one yeah. that's got to go here is New Year's. Like, what? What are we doing here? Because we're gonna watch a television. Now, look, me personally, I love New Year's. I've always loved celebrating it. I love watching the ball drop on television. I know, I know, I do. But. It's the one that's got to go because it doesn't cause joy. You're basically just starting a new year. I can go to bed and start over and be New Year's. All of these other ones are actually something to enjoy. Tanner, join the adults once in a while. Yeah, well, here's the thing for me is like Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas for me, that is a lot of family time, which brings me joy. New Year's is not that. New Year's is me being with a couple of people that I enjoy being around and then being around thousands of others that I have no interest in being around. You know around. how you fix that? You don't go around thousands of others. <laughs> yeah, well, you just keep it close. As I get older, I'm learning yeah. that. Katie and I just, just, we enjoy New Year's at home. Um, Good call. New Year's Eve is the one that's got to go out of this because it. it New it's Year's just is not like, as enjoyable. It's like 4th of July. Like, what are we doing here? What? I don't like 4th of July either. I knew you were un-American. We just, okay, well, I can't follow No, it's you not un-American. It's just I don't understand why we have to shoot off bottle rockets until 4 o'clock in the morning. No, it's not fun. It's so have much, a seven-month-old. So, it is so much better to have watch dog, stuff explode in the air like fireworks rather than dress an, up like a mummy and walk around the block collecting candy. Have a dog who has anxiety attacks and try and go to bed at 11 o'clock at night while the Hoosiers next door are still shooting off bottle rockets towards your roof. Have fun with that. That sounds like a delight. Sounds better than walking Alex, down the street and until you've been on Fourth of July by my neighbors. Well, <laughs> every day is Fourth of <laughs> July by your neighbors. They stand on the roof and just throw <laughs> bottle rockets at people's houses. Yeah, they've got the Roman candles yeah. shooting at one another. They to see shoot who falls it off at the roof. <laughs> they shoot at people's windows next door. <laughs> it's very concerning. All right, last one here. One's got to go. Actor edition. You've got to get rid of one of these guys, and their entire catalog goes along with them. Brad Pitt, Will Smith, Samuel L. Jackson, mm. or Leonardo DiCaprio? This is a tough Leo. one. Brad Pitt, Will Smith, Samuel L. Jackson, or Leo? Which one's got to go, Ooh. boys? Well, Samuel and um, who's the second one there? Will Smith. Yeah, those two are never going anywhere. 
So it comes down to Leo. Well, the, the thing about Samuel L. Jackson is he's been in every movie you've ever seen, even uh, if it's a small role. And they're <laughs> so good. Like, even his small roles are incredible. I think I'm going to have to get rid of Brad Pitt here. I'm trying to think, like, Fight Club, it, it, it pains me to get rid of. The movie Seven, it pains me to get rid of. But Moneyball? I, you're a big Moneyball Money Moneyball, right? I do like Moneyball, but, man, there's so many more. There's so much more better Leo movies out there. So I'm going to have to get rid of Brad Pitt. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think I'm going to get rid of Brad Pitt. Samuel Jackson has to stay. Will Smith has to stay. I, Brad Pitt, I, I mean, I've seen Fight Club and it's good, but other than that, I'm not sure if I'm a big fan of anything else he's really been in. The Ocean series? Nah, those weren't that great. Really? Yeah. Oh, no, I, the, the first one was good, but then World after War that, Z's it just felt like good. they were trying to... I don't know if you guys to... have seen that. I enjoyed eh, World War Z. There's better zombie movies out there than World War Z. Oh, Fight sorry. Club, Seven as... as Seven's incredible. Alex mentioned Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Eh. Seven was seven is a great and glorious bastards. I'm not a fan of. Nah, but I know there's a okay. lot of people that are a big fan of that. That movie was too as well. dry. Twelve years a slave. I mean, he's been in big short. He's been in some really good movies. By the way, seven Titanic. phenomenal Halloween Titanic. movie. That's Once Leo. upon a time on Hollywood, which I still have oh. not yet seen, and I, I need to correct about. that. Did you think Brad Pitt was in Titanic, T Bone? No, I thought he was talking about Leo. No, I'm not listening. There's like multiple people in here. Despite all of what I just said, I think I'd probably still go Brad Pitt. And it's a tough one, but, I mean, the other guys, Will Smith was in my favorite series growing up as a child. Like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was something that I grew up on. I'm not getting rid of that. Never seen him. Okay. Coming up next, we'll cross things over with the fast lane here on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. 101ESPN.com is where you find it. One thing we talked about today that I would love to get Brad Thompson's thoughts on is the Oakland A's, who lost their manager, is now going to be the manager for the San Diego Padres. Bob Melvin decided to make that move. Uh, Sean Manaya is a pitcher for them. He's going to be 30 years old next year. He's going into the final year of arbitration. About $10 million is what he's projected to make next season. And BT, you know, the A's do not like paying for players. And once they get expensive, they love to trade them off. Is Sean Manaya a guy that, in your mind, make, would make some sense for the Cardinals this offseason if oh. he's going to be trade bait? Yeah, obviously everything depends upon the cost, right? But, uh, sure. I mean, who doesn't like Sean Manaya? You're able to bring in a, a guy like that. He's got the pedigree. Uh, I think that he would fit in really well with, with this ball club, fit in really well with his defense where you got six gold glove candidates behind him. Well, one in front of him, you know, with Yachty. No, I love it. I love the idea. I heard you talking about it later or a little bit earlier, and the fact that – if it's not going to cost you a top-end prospect, which one year on a guy it shouldn't, you know, you might have to pay up a, with a couple of extra bodies. Look, I, I'd be really interested in bringing Shamanaya in. I, I think that they need to go outside the organization for another starter. What's the What's the most that you would not – like, what's that threshold, BT, if you would not be willing to give up for Shamanaya? Would it be the top three of Gorman and Libator and – 
uh, like a, uh, Jordan Walker. Yeah, I'm not giving up any of those guys. I'm not giving up Mason Wynn either. I don't know why, but I, I've just uh, I've got something for Mason Wynn, and I haven't even seen the kid play personally. <laughs> like I like I, but I, I like him. I I, I like the skill set there. At least everything that I, that I've seen. No, it's it's middle of the road prospects. It might. I mean, the thing is, I'm trying to make one of those deals that we get on the text line all the time. Yeah. Like, right. Let me give you all the crap that I don't want prospects, and, and you get my. You know, you guys get Mania. So. I, I don't know exactly where the the line I cross is. I, I know this. Like I'm obviously I'm not giving up Matthew Libertor. I'm not giving up Nolan Gorman. I'm not giving up Jordan Walker. I'm not giving up Mason Wynn. Uh, but after that, maybe come talk to me. You know, you got some other pitching prospects that you want within the organization. Uh, we'll listen. You got some outfielders that you're interested in. Well, we, uh, you know, I think the organization would be willing to listen on that as well because if they for- said Oviedo, Oviedo's our price. We'll do it one for one because Oviedo's got so much uh, control left under him versus just the one year that the Cardinals would have in return. Is that something you would be interested in? I would do that. Yeah, I, I would do it for Oviedo. And I'm, I'm a fan of Johan Oviedo, but I also believe that this team is ready to win right now. And I don't think Johan Oviedo helps me win right now. Sean Manaya would help me win right now. And that's that's the kind of like thing that, that I would be really interested in seeing them do. BT, what else coming up today on the fast lane, man? Well, well, Jamie's going to break down the blues. You know what what happened with Ryan O'Reilly out? Why is uh, Jordan Bennington trying to decapitate people? And we got our weekly visit with Matt Holliday today. Should be a fun Friday here in the fast lane. Looking forward to that. That's coming up from two to six. We will be back on Monday at eleven, right here on one hundred and one ESPN. Geico asks, "How would you love a chance to save some money on insurance?" Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today.